TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. When he gets through the first level, Mike Quick's going to tell you it's tough for everybody after that to get him. His, his feet move so fast, and it was Mike Sealski, the DeAndre Swift game Thursday night at Lincoln Financial Field, or as some would call it, the vet. Poor Al Michaels. You're coming in hot on Al Michaels. We'll get to that later. Yeah, it was DeAndre Swift. Veteran Stadium. All right. Oh, man. It's only been 20 years, Al. It's Uh, only been 20 years. He was at the first game. (laughs) That's true. Yes, let's stick with DeAndre Swift. What do you think? uh, Biggest game for him in Philadelphia since he was in high school, right? Pride of St. Joe's Prep. Yeah. So, they won. The Eagles are 2-0. They sure made you sweat. Yeah. They had a 27 to 7 lead and ended up winning 34 to 28. Yeah, and they had an opportunity to extend that lead. I mean, it was what 27-14. They're deep in Vikings territory and there's a tête-à-tête on the sideline and before you know it, Jalen Hurts is trying to get the ball to AJ Brown mm-hmm. at a time when the Eagles are absolutely destroying the Vikings with the running game. So, uh an interesting night Glenn Mack now. So many issues that we're going to get into, and we just kind of tease you with two or three of them. But here's the the bottom line is they're 2-0. Uh, they beat Bill Belichick on the road, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, that's always a good thing to do. Yeah, that was harder than we thought it was going to be. They beat a team that won 13 games last year, although I don't I don't think either of the teams they played, neither of the teams they played is going to be a Super Bowl threat this year. No. But neither of them is the Arizona Cardinals either. So you're, you're 2-0. and I'll go to you and just ask you for the – 30-second, in a nutshell, what have we learned? All right, we've learned a few things, I think. First, we have learned that the Eagles have an elite defensive line that as long as they are healthy, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, Josh Sweat, and the rest of that group are going to cause problems to opposing offenses all season. Mm -hmm. Number two, we have learned that when in doubt, they can run the ball and control the line of scrimmage and pound teams into oblivion mm-hmm. uh, if they have to win a game that way. That's quite literally what happened Thursday night. That game was up in the air uh, until the Eagles put together an enough of this stuff drive. 16 yeah. plays, 13 <laughs> running plays. I like the name of that. Uh, and they just destroy the Vikings at the line of scrimmage and they're off and taking the lead. Mm-hmm. I think we've also learned that the defense is going to have some issues uh, because of injury and because of the Eagles' philosophy in building a defense, that linebackers and safeties aren't quite as important as some of the other positions. 
and opposing quarterbacks, even Mac Jones and Kirk Cousins, are going to take advantage of that, throwing to the middle of the field. And tied to that, I think we've learned that injuries are going to be a problem, that this is not going to be the blessedly easy walk through the regular season that last year was when nobody got hurt and all the starters are available in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. These injuries are piling up, and they're going to be a problem. All right. Well, guess what? Mike just covered everything we're going to talk about over the next three hours. So good afternoon, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your day. (laughs) Go Birds Radio coming up next. Yes, you got it all. You did. You really you got it all. So let's uh, spend some time going over each of those things. And to me – the most interesting aspect out of that game was whether it was Nick Sirianni's decision or Johnson, the offensive coordinator, whatever. They adjusted when the pass game wasn't working, and they ran the ball. I mean, let's just get back to DeAndre Swift for a second. DeAndre Swift and the offensive line. The off- yes. This offensive line, they can run block, baby. They they absolutely can. They can. He had one carry in the first game. Mm-hmm. One. And we were saying, why did he get one carry? that? I mean, nothing yeah. against Kenny Gainwell, but... Come on. 28 carries for 175 yards and a touchdown. The most he's ever touched the ball in an NFL game. Probably way more than you want him to do it. But, man, his vision, his power, his quickness. I, You know, I, we liked him when they picked him up. Boy, we saw it. We did. And what you saw, I thought, Glenn, was the difference between the way DeAndre Swift runs and the diff- and the way Miles Sanders runs and the reason that the Eagles were willing to let Miles Sanders walk it's no secret that Miles Sanders frustrated certainly Eagles fans and i think players and coaches on the team with his propensity to bounce the ball outside yeah didn't really want to run it up between the tackles yeah DeAndre Swift does not have that problem that guy will cut between the you know, the a, he'll go through the A gap, he'll go through that gap, he will run between the tackles, and the only question I have is, how many hits is he going to take over the course of the season? Is he going to stay healthy enough to allow him to continue to do that? Well, we've t- we talked going into the year on how are they going to divide this up. They have four running backs, all of whom you can use. By the way, Boston Scott, what do you have, five carries for 40 yards the other day, right? He did. And had a, a nice contribution. He did. He also had a concussion. I, I tracked Boston down after the game to ask him how he was feeling, and he said he couldn't comment. Mm. But again, coming back to injuries, that's another one to think about. That's another one that you don't want to see. Um, the good thing, I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to mitigate that he's got a concussion, but they do have a long rest now until yes. a week from Monday, so hopefully that helps in a lot of cases. But they went into the season with the four running backs, and how are they going to use them? Is it going to be this is this guy's game and this is that guy's game? Well, through the first two, that's what we saw. The first mm-hmm. game was the Kenny Gainwell game. The second game was uh, the DeAndre Swift game. Rashad Penny, I know, got into the lineup a little bit. Maybe we'll have the Rashad Penny game. Or do they divide it because I don't think anybody thinks that DeAndre Swift can have 20 carries a game throughout the season and with his injury history stand up. No, I don't think so. Uh, And we've talked about this before, Glenn. I honestly like the fact that so many of their backs do similar things. All three of them, we haven't seen enough of Penny yet to know. But Swift and Gainwell and Scott can all catch the ball out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. They can all run inside or outside. And I think that leads defenses to guess a little bit more. Uh, it's not as if a, an opposing defense can say, oh, well, this back is in the game. We know he's the Eagles' short yardage back. Yeah. Therefore, we can plan for that. Because all three guys share so many skills, it, it helps the Eagles' offense as a whole. 
Um, yes, agree, agree on all of that. Um, on the other hand, the passing game was a mess. Oh, yeah. Um, it was a mess when they actually tried to throw the ball, and it was a mess when they talked about it on the sideline. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, we'll, get to, we'll get to the sign. We'll get to that. You're, 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 you're runner-ish here, as uh, Richie Ashburn used to say. <laughs> Hurts looked shaky to me. He yeah. did not look confident. The offensive line, as much as I'll compliment them on their run blocking, did not look particularly good with the pass blocking. Uh, we talked about that a little bit last week with that. I am a little bit concerned, a little bit, a little bit concerned with Brian Johnson's ability to kind of develop that. Again, it's two games, so I don't want to do much. But the passing game clearly is not as good as it was last year, and the weapons are as good. So what's going on? Jalen Hurts, to me, does not seem to be seeing the field as well as he did last season. He's hit Deontay, uh, Devontae Smith. A couple of times for big plays. He did that Thursday night, obviously, the long touchdown, the 54-yarder earlier in the game. And he's dumping the ball off to Dallas Goddard a fair amount and to the running backs. But those intermediate 12 to 19-yard throws that were there last year. Your bread and butter. The bread and butter throws between the hash marks that that A.J. Brown, quite frankly, lives on, uh, haven't been there. And the interception he threw uh, was really poor. That that mm-hmm. was just a rote. Oh well, this is where I'm supposed to go with the ball. I'm going to throw, throw it there. Into traffic, and yeah. he, you threw it into double coverage. So there is some concern there, and and tied to that, Glenn Hertz doesn't seem to be running the ball with as much freedom and speed as he did. I agree, and that opens up so much of what they do in the passing I game. Agree. That I wonder about that. I don't know what that is. He's going down quicker than he used to. I can't imagine that they said to him, just go down and avoid the hits because that's never been the style. And it, I mean, that's, that's, I don't know what that is, but it clearly is that he's getting a yard or two and he's just going down. Mm-hmm. Or he's not escaping the first guy going to tackle him. And last year he escaped all those guys. Yeah. I, uh, I, it's, it's two games. Again, you know, you don't want to draw big conclusions. He didn't play all the preseason. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's just not ready to be out there as much as he should be. I don't know if he's worried about his 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 health. I, it's like I don't want to even speculate too much because I don't know, but I don't like it. The one caveat or detail I'd add here, Glenn, is remember how much time we spent last year mentioning the fact that it was the first time that Hurts in his college and pro careers was going to have the same play caller in back-to-back seasons. Shane Steichen had yeah. called the plays in 2021, in the second half of the season, and he was going to call them throughout 2022. Well, Brian Johnson and Jalen Hurts have a long professional and personal relationship. They've, no, they've known each other a long time. Mm-hmm. But Brian Johnson's never been a play caller before. And Jalen Hurts has never run plays called by Brian Johnson before. So I, I just wonder if that's a factor. I, I wonder if that's playing into this a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. It's something you want to see get better uh, again, and I'll say it twenty times. Say they're two and zero. Yes. It's okay, but it's like yeah, like that. Okay. And yes, something did occur during the game that was like a little bit. What's going on here? That they caught on camera, which was AJ Brown. I, you know, I'll let you set this up. Because you wrote a very good – by the way, pick up today's Inquirer, read it online, Mike Sielski, very good column about this issue we're about to talk about. There you go. Well, beginning of the fourth quarter, the Amazon cameras catch 
A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts going at it, kind of yelling, shouting at each other along the sideline. And Nick Sirianni comes over to interject and insert himself and figure out what's going on and maybe quell this dispute. And then the Eagles come back, get the ball back. And as we mentioned earlier, Glenn, at a time in the game where they're just destroying the Vikings with the run and have a chance to put the game away, Hurts throws deep two or three times in a row, tries to throw deep three times in a row to Brown. Uh, The first one is a touchdown that's called back because of a holding penalty. The second one is an incomplete pass that probably could have been called pass interference. And then the third play, Hurts takes a 12-yard sack, which Mm -hmm. pushes them out of field goal range. So they went from getting the ball deep in Vikings territory to getting nothing. And then the Vikings get the ball back, drive and score, and we've got a ball game again. After the game, what, what was interesting to me was... In the aftermath of this, I've gotten a lot of pushback from Eagles fans saying, this isn't a big deal. Stop making more out of this than you should. A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts are good friends. Friends are going to go at each other. They can talk about this. And that's all fine and good. Yeah. Problem is the way the Eagles handle it. Nick Sirianni got asked about it in the postgame press conference and just lied. He just lied about it. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't see anything. Well, Nick, you walked over to the— all right, hold All on. Right. Here's Nick. Here's Santa. what he said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see. Uh, I didn't see what was going on with that. We we're just trying to manage the game. You were part of the TV show that you kind of interjected there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what, what did you have to say to AJ and Jalen? I guess Guys, the, the conversations we have on the field are going to be private, and the conversations we have in in, per, in, uh, in our locker room are going to be private. Uh, y'all, y'all don't need to know what was going on right there. Look, if it's yeah. <laughs> Can I just say one thing? It's like, I have no idea what's going on. Who is the reporter? Who Tim McManus from ESPN. Okay, job by, good job by Tim McManus. Like, you were kind of there on camera. He goes like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you caught me. <laughs> yeah, I was lying, yeah, I guess. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then you, you can see like it's, the bag. it's yeah. spinning yeah. in his mind like, okay. Yeah, what do I who are you going to believe, right? me or your lying eyes, right? <laughs> or national television. Or national yeah. television. And that's what irked me about it was if you want to say it's not a big deal, Okay, I could buy that. Then have A.J. Brown come out and talk about it and tell us what happened. Mm-hmm. Don't have Nick Sirianni say what he said. Don't have Devontae Smith say, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. You're, you're begging the question. You're making us wonder if something is really going on here. And look, I acknowledge that A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts are good buddies and that teammates are going to get into it from time to time. And I'm not suggesting this is Terrell Owens versus Donovan McNabb all over again. No. But we've all been around long enough to know that when a quarterback and a wide receiver get into it on the sideline, not everything is hunky-dory. There's at least some tension there, and that's worth exploring and asking about. And I think the Eagles made the situation harder for themselves than they had to by not just coming out and saying, look, guys, here's what happened. Yeah, I agree. I think that in terms of... I think it's a tempest in a teapot in terms of what it means. We've seen A.J. Brown get angry before. We think in the grand scheme of things he's delighted and happy to be on this team, Mm -hmm. and I don't think there is going to be a T.O. Donovan McNabb. This thing is going to fall apart. It's going to be fine. And they all went out to dinner the other night and, you know, did a kumbaya and everything was good. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, you're right. Nick should have just said, "Ah, you know, Nick could have gotten out of it easy. Listen, it's the passion of a game. The guy was excited about it. He wants to win the game. And that was that. And Nick, then that would have been the end of it from that perspective. And A.J. Brown should hang around the locker room after the game to say, 
hey, you know what? I just the moment got to me, but we won the game, so let's be happy. It yeah. was it was PR one hundred and one. They could have got out of that. Yeah, and I don't want to frame this in terms of the Eagles. Like I don't want to give the Eagles a PR lesson and say, oh well, their big mistake was they should handle it better. I mean, they should handle it better, but the bottom line is everybody saw what happened. There's something there, and that you're going to be asked, asked about it, and it's not just something you can just say, well, don't worry about it. Right. You have to ask about it. Something's going on there. A.J. <laughs> Brown isn't happy, so that's a, a question that has to be asked. Okay. Um so, bottom line, Mike Sealski, I will ask you, and I'll ask our audience. We'll sneak in a call or two here. Uh, how do you feel about the Eagles after two games? I'm uncertain. Uh, by the way, let the record reflect that Mike Sealski answered that question with a fluttering of the eyebrows, a little bit of a head turn, and a slight shrug. Now, you uh, can. Uncertain. Mm-hmm. Uncertain. Uh, let me put it this way, Glenn. So far, they have been the team that, in a way, I thought they would be. I've been banging the drum about it's not going to be as easy this year as it was last year. And anybody who gets caught up in thinking that the Eagles lost the Super Bowl, therefore they're going to come back and kick all comers' rear ends every week this season is wrong. The NFL doesn't work that way. Every season is its own self-contained entity. They're not going to be as healthy. They're not going to play as well. Uh, they just aren't. That's human nature. Having said that, this is no guarantee. There's no guarantee that they're going to go twelve and five. I mean, there are some issues here that they're going to have to figure out. Uh, the middle of their defense is soft. Between the linebackers and the safeties, they can't cover anyone in the middle of the field right now. And you're putting an awful lot on the defensive line to make up for that, to pressure opposing quarterbacks and shut down a running game. So. Uh, are they the best team in the NFC East? Yeah, I think they are. Is this going to be harder than I think anybody anticipated it would be? It, it might be, yeah. Uh, I think that's all true, and the only thing I would add that causes me more concern and you reflect on is the injuries. Is you? I think everything is, is solvable. I think Hurts is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, well, the defense is a little thin, but the pass rush is really good. They can get that together. Um, but... If they start losing too many guys, that's where seasons get in jeopardy, and I'm, I have some concern about that. Let's get a call or two in here. David in North Philly starts us out. Hello, David. Hey, what's up? Uh, I got to quote the great John Smith. I love it when a plan comes together. You two will know. That's the bottom line. You had to get you had to get these wins. You got to get these wins early. Stack these wins until we get to the harder part of the season. You have an extended break here to help get some of these injured guys back. And whatever needs to take place behind the scenes, you got extra time to get that done. And even though um, there was the AJ Brown situation, how how can we overlook the fact that um, they threw a touchdown to him, call back on a penalty? They threw another touchdown to him, which was a PI, but it would have put him at yeah, one. Yeah, boy, I, I, can I reflect on that for one second? That was a terrible call by Bad the call. And you know what bothered me? Because I went, I was at the game, and I'm, like you, I went back and watched the telecast. Who is their um, the guy that they have as their official? As their official guy? I don't know. Do we know that guy's name? I don't. Because Gene Sterator was great at that when he did it. Got it right. This guy's like, well, you know, kind of ticky tack. I don't know what you call. Like, what are you talking about? That's a penalty. Yeah. I'm sorry, David. Go ahead. Yeah. And I mean, again, I don't want to see them fighting stuff like there. But here's the reality: I was at the bar with a good amount of people. 
You had a missed field goal, and one of those should have been a touchdown. That means you played your C game, and you scored 44 points. God forbid they actually get everything together, and they're back on track. And I talked to Rob Ellis. Um, over, I talked to Rob in the summertime. The, the drive where we went down, I think it was like 16 plays. That's going to be the recipe that teams try to use against us to keep our offense on the side of the field. But the the 49ers and the Cowboys and stuff like that, those teams, even the even the, the Dolphins, we do that drive. Let us get the ball back in the fourth quarter, one score game, and we get eight minutes on the clock, and we have that drive. Mm. That is the worst feeling for the other team because all it did go to their sidelines when it happens because I saw when we were doing that to the Vikings yeah. and the went to their sidelines it was all man oh yeah the only thing that was missing was what was the Cowboys coach that threw the headphones down his face got all red yeah no that's a Giants coach that's that Tom Coughlin yes yeah uh, look the Eagles can run the ball pretty much whenever they want the concern is not whether they can run the ball or not the concern is their passing game as Glenn said doesn't look nearly as sharp. And if it stays as sloppy as it's been, it's going to become harder over time for them to run the ball like that. It just is. By the way, if you're a Vikings fan and you watch that game, yeah, they're miserable. Yeah. They, they are fumble four times. They are just perennially a team that seems less than the sum of their parts. Yeah. They're kind of squirrely. Like they I mean, and Justin Jefferson is great. Yep. He he catches the ball and runs yeah, like with violence. A, yeah, with a, like a running back. Yeah. Wow. He's yeah. he's fun to watch, but yeah. the rest of that team just ugh. Yeah. Sean in Virginia is with us. Hello, Sean. Hey, how you doing? All right. Um hey, so I just wanted to like just give three quick observations about the game. Sure. Um first, uh this team knows how to win. That's just obvious. They know how to eke out wins. They're gonna make us better nails. They've done it last year. They're doing it this year. Second, I love how happy Fletcher Cox looks in the game. Have you noticed how much he's smiling while playing? Like, I haven't seen that in a few years. Yeah, well, look, like, they've, got, they've got more depth along the line. He doesn't have to be out yeah. there for 40, 50 snaps in a game anymore, and he's, he's fresher. It's, and it's also week two. Let's, let's see if you come week eight, nine, 10, 12. Mm-hmm. He's still I holding up. I get that, but I, look, I scan the line every every defensive play, and I, like, I see him, and he's making he's making an impact. Like and Jalen and Jordan are just doing so much damage down there that he doesn't have to really like expend his body as much, and it's just amazing. Yeah, I listen. I I think he is off to a really good start, and you're right. It's a long season. He's an mm-hmm. older guy. But coming up, we'll talk about the impact some of those younger guys have yes, had already early in the season. Oh, and what that might mean down the road. for I'm more optimistic about what it will mean fans. for me down the road than you are, I think. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I have a theory. I have a theory. Uh, we'll get to your dopey theory coming okay. up. And we'll talk to the people. <laughs> 215-592-9494. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack. Now, Saturday morning on 94 WIP. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Got clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here 
on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... You deserve this ice-cold reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. It's over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device. Credit service ported. 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Mike Sioski, Glenn Mackin, 94 WIP, 215-592-9494. We will be getting to the callers momentarily. But Mike Sioski, we talked a lot about the offense in the first segment. Let us talk a little bit about the defense. And let's uh, call her. Last caller raised. How uh, Fletcher Cox seems to be invigorated by those young George Bulldogs playing alongside him. And so am I, Mike, because it's time for the stupid bet update. Now, we have not been on together since the Eagles won that first game. That is correct. And you may recall in that first game, Jalen Carter had a sack. Yes, he did. And Jordan Davis had half a sack. Yes, he did. And then last night, here you go. In the last play of the first quarter, Kirk Cousins. Thank you, Mike Quick. That was brilliant. Uh, quarterback so, falls down should be a separate category. Here's what we got, Mike. Uh, the the stupid football bet to uh, tell people who may or may not uh, be familiar with it is it's the sack bet, and Mike has Hassan Reddick's combined sacks for the not combined total sacks mm-hmm. for this coming football season, current football season. I have the combined sacks of the five Georgia Bulldogs on the team. After two games, and by the way, dinner at stake for us and producers. After two games, I am up 2.5 to, as they say in soccer, nil. So you're, you're doing a victory dance already? Not a victory dance, but I am uh, queuing up the music. <laughs> I was a lot farther ahead last year with the uh, stupid special teams bet, mm. and you were able to come back and overtake me. Yeah. Here's why I'm not worried yet, Glenn. Mm. Here's why. Mm. I acknowledge that Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter uh, have played very, very well these first two weeks. Carter in particular. Phenomenal. Tremendous. Oh, my, oh my goodness. But here's the thing, Glenn mm. Mack now, no. is that the better they play and the more that opposing teams decide, you know what, we got to stop those two young bucks in the middle there. Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter are wrecking our passing game, wrecking our running game. We might have to double-team one or both of them. Who do you think that's going to leave in one-on-one blocking on the outside? Nice. That Hassan Reddick. Mm. So, over the course of a season, I still feel very good about where I'm at. It hasn't started fast. Not a fast start for my man Haas, but he'll get there. Good. Well, I mean, you should, you know. It's, it, listen, I will concede that it's two weeks out of 17, so I'm not exactly... As you said, getting up and doing the naked victory dance, but <laughs> playoffs too. On behalf right? of America, playoffs too. That's so true. Could, probably more than seventeen. Yeah. On, on behalf of America, thank God you're not doing the naked victory dance. Well, there you go. But I'd rather be or up at to... least us in the studio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Are we done making jokes? Have we had enough fun about that one? 
Uh, I'd rather be up 2.5 to none to be down two and a half to none. Sure. And and just to get into the 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 look of it, boy, Jalen Carter does look great. He oh. really does. Oh. He's, he is so fast and powerful and active in the middle, and it's gonna. I just feel that we all know why he dropped to nine. And some teams are like, and the Eagles got him. And mm-hmm. I have, I, I I don't know him personally enough, but I do know this. He's a hell of a great football player and is going to be. And they're going to need him to be because they're down N'Kobe Dean at linebacker and they're down a couple of safeties, and they're going to need to put pressure on opposing quarterbacks and disrupt opposing offenses. And when you have a player like Carter, boy, it becomes easier to do that. And I also think that Jordan Davis looks so much better than he did last year. Now, last year, listen, he started off okay. He was a rookie, a young rookie coming into the NFL and then he got hurt, and then he tried to come back, and it really wasn't the rookie year that anybody thought it was going to be. And I felt like a lot of people were too quick to say, like, mm, it's going to be a bust. I, you know what? Yeah. I did not feel that way. And I think, man, he looks just he looks really good. Yeah, and to be very honest, Glenn, the Eagles kind of needed those two guys or two guys like them to come along. You know, we had the, the caller in the previous segment mention uh, how happy – Fletcher Cox looks and how well he's playing. Fletcher Cox has been around, what, 11, 12 seasons now. And the Eagles, within the last couple of years, were still relying on him quite a bit. And part of the reason for that is not just that Fletcher's a really good player, it's that they didn't have anybody else kind of take the mantle from him. Well, now you've got Jordan Davis, you've got Jalen Carter, and don't leave out a guy who I mentioned to you last week, Milton Williams, who's been really good as well. Uh, now you have a, su- a succession plan along the defensive line, and that's really, really important because that's one of the areas where that's an uh, area of bread and butter for the Eagles. All true, and I'll even throw another log on the fire. Okay. The Schwetzer has been looking pretty good. <laughs> the Schwe- huh? Ah, oh, he's got Spielkus and his Ganecticas on. <laughs> right? Josh Sweat, yes. He's looking really he, good. He does look good. So, I mean, even as Hassan Reddick is not off to the start, and, you know, I think a lot of it is, is due to the thumb, mm-hmm. right? He's dealing he's playing with an injury, and yeah. I understand, oh, it's a club, it's fine. You can't grip. It's it's tough. Um, that defensive line, to me, is the defensive line, on the pass rush and the offensive line on the run block, to me, are right now two great strengths you've got. So, given the the lead you've gotten off to in the stupid football bet. Two and a half to nothing. Uh, could could we maybe change the parameters? You Hello? Know? What? Well, you what? lost to Kobe Dean. Maybe now I can pick up Josh Sweat just to no. even things out. No, doesn't work that way. Ah, come on. I don't think so. As as uh, Dr. Evil would say, throw me a freaking bone uh, here. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, it's a long, 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 long season, and I think your guy's going to be just fine. I hope you're right. Lou, well, we all do. Lou in Swedesboro, you're on uh, with Mike and Glenn. Hey, Lou. Good morning, gentlemen. Always a pleasure to hear such smart smart guys. Well, Thanks, we'll go Lou. out and find him, and we'll get back to you. <laughs> Well, you're the ones that are on the radio, so I guess it'll have to be the two of you. A couple of points, um, and it's going to be a little bit of cliche, so please, I apologize in advance. Uh, I actually, uh, after the game, not only did I watch uh, the post game, but I I was up and watched the YouTube interviews of uh, of the coach. I really like that he didn't embellish, add more fuel to the fire, whatever you want to say, as to what was said online, uh, you know, to him by the guys or what he witnessed or what the entire conversation, because 
at, at the end of the day, these guys have to believe that uh, he's got their back. The media would have written about it anyway. And I think it's it's good for a coach to say, you know, that's between us. Now, maybe it's a little bit because I'm a, I'm a lawyer and I think, you know, lawyer-client privilege and maybe coach-player privilege. I don't know if such a thing exists. But I think, I think it, you know, it's not like it's – this is not the T.O. situation. It, this, these are guys, as you indicated, who are hungry to win, which, by the way, if I, let me take my gratuitous shot at the Sixers, a great comparison. A piece of crap organization. And, for a lawyer, you're trying to dominate the conversation. I hand it to attorney Mike Sielski. So my counter argument, Lou, would be I don't have an issue with Nick coming out and saying, look, it happened. We're going to deal with it in house. Two passionate players, et cetera, et cetera. What bothers me, and maybe it's just a media thing. I, I'm open to that possibility. It's the, the, the don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining principle. Like, we all saw it. Is that a legal precedent? I, I think it is, <laughs> yes. Uh, don't, we all saw it. Everyone watching the game on Amazon saw it. Don't stand there and tell me, I don't know what you're talking about. And if it were only Nick, that would be one thing, but it was other players, too. Guys, don't insult our intelligence. It's, if, if this is not a big deal, and I'm not certain that it is a big deal— don't make it a big deal by saying things that just aren't true. Except that I like when a team comes together and says, "This is our house." In, inside the inside, you know. But it wasn't inside. It was on I national know, I TV. It, I get it, I get if it, it happens in the locker room here, and 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 Lou, I appreciate maybe your call. Maybe that's a good comparison. Maybe uh, that's a good comparison. All right, we, and we got to run, but I appreciate I appreciate your call. If it happens in the locker room and 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 word gets out, and Mike Sielski says, "Hey, I think, uh, Coach, I heard that this thing happened in the locker room. Tell me about it." And he said, well, if he says, like, I don't know, I didn't do anything, that, that's, that's kind of lame. But if he yeah. says, hey, that happened in-house and we're going to keep it in-house, that's mm-hmm. fine. This happened in front of 70,000 people, many of whom saw it at the time. It was pretty right. visible. And a national TV audience, well, it was Amazon. So Amazon a, TV a, a audience. national TV audience of, you know, 30,000, 40,000 mm-hmm. people. Um, <laughs> so that's then the you, you can't do it. But I, I will say this. We care more than other people because, oh, we're, because we're in the business yes. and it is our job. And we're thinking like we represent the people. We want to get this because the people deserve to know. And there's a lot of people who will say, yeah, I don't deserve to know. Yeah, I think that you're 100 percent right. Fall, and we fall into that. Yeah, I, I think you're 100 percent right about that. It's it's the sticking your fingers in your ears and saying my team is 2-0 and and I like these guys. I like Jalen Hurts. I like A.J. Brown. I don't want to hear even the possibility that there's something untoward or there's friction or something but like that. But even as the way you said that, you've made it a little judgmental, like you're putting your fingers in your ears. And so I understand some people are just like, look, this is my entertainment. I'm, I'm saying the same thing as you are without the mm-hmm. sticking my fingers in my ear. Okay. This is my entertainment. I'm happy to be entertained. Yes, but— I don't need the news. I, I agree with you. The same people then— I have found in my experience would get upset at us if we didn't report something that was actually happening. That's a fair point. That was destructive to the team. That's a good point. 215-592-9494. Hey, coming up at 11 o'clock, we're going to talk to Seth Joyner. I think Seth probably has some opinions on the defense. No chance. Absolutely no chance. Seth never has anything to say. At 11 o'clock, we'll talk to the always entertaining Jimmy Kemsky of phillyvoice.com. And you, throughout the uh, rest of the morning, into the 1 o'clock hour. 
Hey, it's that time of year again to, uh, again, consider replacing your old drafty windows and doors before another long, cold winter season rolls in. And the great people at Guided Door and Window can help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door or window you buy, you're going to get a second one at 50% off. And you can mix and match the savings to suit your needs. So you buy an entry door, you get half off a storm door. You buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, well, you can save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest refinancing for up to 18 months. Act now. Offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Here we go. Hang on. Ball is spotted. The kick is away. And the kick is... It's gone! He did it again. 61 yards! (laughs) So when they lined up for that field goal, and Mm -hmm. I know you've got a little bit of an inside story about it, but you know what I was thinking? I can't wait to hear Merrill's call. (laughs) That That was entirely what I was thinking because on those long field goals, you know, when they were an important field goal at the Mm -hmm. the end of the half, and I, and I, I, I'm sure that Merrill went back and evoked the 61 yard against the Absolutely. Giants that won that game that turned that season around. Um, I just wanted to hear Merrill's call. So what, we had to play it today. Had what, to play it. What makes a long field goal call by Merrill so terrific is that the ball is in the air so long that he has to wait to find out if it's going to be good or not. Yeah. It's not like a 30 yarder where boom, it's through the uprights and it's good. You've got to wait a second and a half before he explodes with his call. And that just, it, it's the buildup and the release. And it's just, it's wonderful. It he's was st- terrific. He still brings the goods. Yeah. And Jake, after the game, talked to a couple of us about the fact that going into that kick, he felt his range was only 50 yards. He said he actually kicked that 61 yarder into the wind. It wasn't as if that the ball was helped by the wind, he kicked it mm. through the wind gusts that night. And got it there uh, and said that they would not have tried it unless it was the end of the half or an end of the game. Lee is off to a great start this year. Um, he's, he's He missed a, a 55-yarder earlier in the game. I know he missed the extra point, whatever, last week. But, man, he is just when, – when you when you don't have a kicker you can rely on is when you really notice it. Yep. When you got to think like, oh, man, I don't want the game to come down to this. With him, I just always have total confidence. It, it is, and it's funny how he's the second kicker now in the last, what, 25 to 30 years who's kind of become, you don't want to say a cult hero, but everybody loved David Akers. Love all time. Because he made so many big kicks yep. and was as much a football player, quote-unquote, as yeah, any kicker could be. he would hit guys be. on the kickoffs, which is yeah, very cool. Yeah, exactly. Martial artist, all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah. And now Jake Elliott, you could make an argument, has surpassed him. I mean, the biggest kick in Eagles history is the Super Bowl kick at the end of that game where he makes it a, an eight-point game. Uh, and he just makes, you know, one after another after another. He's already he's already made three field goals of at least 50 yards through the first two games of this season. It's crazy. I, I hope his leg doesn't fall off by week five. Uh, I think he's great. Just think he's great. Brian in Middletown joins us. What's up, Brian? Hey, good morning, guys, and happy Saturday. Always love to. Thank you, uh, sir. Thanks, Brian. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Always enjoy listening to you and, you know, trying to just uh, think about your perspectives. Hey, listen, I'll quote from uh, 
Aaron Rodgers uh, a few years ago. Relax. And look, it's not just, <laughs> I no, thought you were going to say Frankie goes to Hollywood there, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one as well. And look, it's not to say that clearly there are some, not, there are some issues to be concerned about. But, you know, this is a marathon. And the reality is no one's winning the Super Bowl in, you know, week one, week two. You know, now, you know obviously the, the percentage of teams that don't make the playoffs we start on two. You can say that could be a problem. But ultimately you want to win games. And they've done that. And quite frankly, the way they played against New England, and you knew they only had four days to get ready for the Vikings, my thing going into the Thursday night game was just get the W. And now over this extended layoff, we'll get a chance to you know, work on strengthening the passing game. Because, look, it is a true thing. You know, in sports they say, you know, uh, teams will eventually make you play left-handed. You know, they'll make you uncomfortable. And the great teams and the great players, and this is where Jalen will, you know, have to challenge himself to get better, you have to come with a counterpunch. And um, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And, and look, you guys mentioned about difficulty of getting back to the Super Bowl. We understand this is not like when the Bills went to four straight Super Bowls uh, in the early 90s or the Eagles getting the four straight conference championships. But you look at the Chiefs now, they have gotten to four straight conference championships. I believe the 49ers have also mm-hmm. gotten to. And yeah. so the point is, you make sure your team is playing the type of football they need to play, getting better, making sure you have the depth that you need in the different positions, and kudos to Howie Rosen for that. Yeah. And let me also give a shout-out, because Elliot Shore Parks made this point yesterday. Oh, no, no, no. Shout-outs to Elliot Shore Parks are not permitted on no, no, this show. No, no, no. no. I'm, just <laughs> I'm just kidding. Made, I love Elliot. Okay, that's he made the point about the work that Tracy Rocker is doing as a defensive line coach. You know, I know we Look, don't always yeah. dive into that, but, you know, obviously O-line coach has done No, those guys are the, right. Yep. It, it, look, for all the praise that the Eagles get for being forward-thinking as an organization, going forward on fourth down when teams weren't really doing that, and their accent on the passing game, they want to throw the ball, you know, spending money and salary cap space at certain positions, Glenn, the bottom line is the way they build their team is very, very basic. We're going to have a great offensive line. We're going to have a great defensive line. We're going to control the line of scrimmage, and everything will fall from there. And that is a reason to be, I think, still very optimistic about the Eagles, and we're not suggesting you shouldn't be. I will say this, Glenn. The one difference between, let's say, this 2-0 and start and last season's 2-0 and start mm-hmm. is that the year before – the Eagles were 9-8. and eight. So you get off to a 2-0 and start, and there's a feeling of, oh, okay, this team might be better than we anticipated they would be. When you come in as the defending conference champion and you get off to a 2-0 and start and both games are close and you've made some mistakes, the feeling is, oh, maybe this team isn't going to be as good as it was last year. And I, I totally get that, but I'm going into it saying, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year. May I also say one other thing? We do something which is called radio. Our job <laughs> is to be on the air and evaluate things as they occur. And if we came on today and just said, like, hey. It's all good. Uh, you know, okay, we'll see you next week. Yeah. We, 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 we kind of have to break it down. And we've been talking about the good and the bad and the yeah. good with those young defensive linemen that we love and the phenomenal game that Swift has said. So we got to kind of put it in the context of what it is, and that's kind of our job. But, I, I listen, I appreciate what you say. And I don't think anybody – 
I don't hear anybody, the sky is falling. I, no. no. Nobody's been saying that. No. Um, just nobody's thinking like, oh, my God, these guys are terrific. They're, no, and I, I don't think anybody should say that the sky is falling. I mean, again, we're not even two full weeks into the season yet, but take a look around. I mean, the Giants lost 40 to nothing. Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks the Cowboys are going to be 40 points better than every team they play this season. Uh, so everybody feels good about where the Eagles are with respect to the rest of the NFC, and could be worse. You could be the Kansas City Chiefs at 0-1 and, you know, having to get back to 500. Uh, I know you had a little personal note that you wanted to Just get in here. V- and wish- very quickly, mm-hmm. I wanted to thank uh, all the doctors and nurses at Abington Hospital. My father, Chuck, uh, went in for surgery on Thursday. Uh, he's going to be in the hospital for a couple of days. He's doing great. Uh, and I appreciate all the friends and family who have reached out, but I specifically wanted to say thank you to all the wonderful doctors and, and nurses at Abington Hospital. On behalf of my entire family, we really appreciate it. And, Dad, I love you, and uh, get better. All right. We wish your dad all the best. Mr. Sealski. come on, get home. Your son needs you there to, to show him what to do. All right. <laughs> That's true. Coming up, we're going to talk to the great Seth Joyner, see what he thinks about what he has seen so far, and continue to talk to you. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now, Saturday morning on 94 WIP. Well, he was, man. Two long, long receptions, including that touchdown. And He's really good. Yeah. They, they, really, really good. They do have so many weapons that it appears that on any given night, a defense will not be able to stop all of them. Let us bring that to our friend and expert, our pal Seth Joyner, is nice enough to be with us. How are you this morning, Seth? Always doing good, Glenn. How are you doing, man? A pleasure. Um, so, if you are a defensive coordinator and you are facing the Eagles the next week and you see what they have with Smith and Brown and Goddard and now you saw what they get out of Smith and other running backs and Hurts, not off to a great start, how do you defend that? What's the strategy to defend that? Well, believe it or not, I think Bill Belichick has given and then uh, Flores, you know, last week, mm-hmm have given the rest of the National Football League a blueprint on how to, um, you know, defense this this offense. Because it all begins and ends with Jalen Hurts and his decision-making. And if you can speed up his clock with pressure, if you can give him uh, muddled looks where he can't definitively um, decipher what you're doing and what you're in, if you can't read your pre-snap. And if, you know, you can force him to run the ball and take the RPO, the the run as far as giving it to the running back and the pass as far as the slant route is concerned by alignment away, then you force, you know, him to run the football. And then, you know, he's not run the ball very well this year, and I think he's frustrated by it. But, you know, there there's, there's a plan in place um, on how you stop that. And it's, you know, he hasn't had his best start, but I'm not going to sit here and put it all on Jalen Hurts. You know, Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson, they have to go back to the drawing board and, and take a hard look at how teams are defensing him, and they've got to come up with a with a counter uh, adjustment to allow him to use his skill sets again. So, Seth, what have you seen from Johnson so far as a play caller? Has there Have you picked up on any sort of pattern or weakness that suggests, hey, he's got to do something different in the plays he's calling, in the sequence he's calling them to open this offense up? Well, I think that what we're seeing, you know, is a pattern once again. Um, The 
the the brain trust of the of the NFL now is that we want to throw the ball. We want to throw the ball 40 plus times a game. We want to start the game out throwing. We want to get a lead, and then we want to get into a four minute offense and run the football to run the clock out. Um, so understanding that that's the mindset. Teams are figuring out ways. Smart defense coordinators are figuring out ways to stop you from throwing the ball early in games. Um, and what you saw last this past game is, you know, the the game plan was, okay, we can't throw the ball. Let's go back and run the ball. And that worked. The offensive line, DeAndre Swift, saved that game. If they don't run the football the way they ran it with that kind of efficiency, they're one and one this morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go back historically and you look at the Eagles, it's the same thing. You know, the, the years they won the Super Bowl, they started off slow, and everybody was out at the Novacare Center. Roll that blunt, you know, run the football. <laughs> and when Doug Peterson made the de- when he made the decision to run the football, it changed everything. It opened up Carson Wentz, and it spurred this team on to being able to get to the Super Bowl and win its first championship. Even last year. You know, when they when they began to run the ball, and you look at the numbers by Miles Sanders, when they began to run the football, it opened everything up. So here we are again in week two, going into week three of the national of of of, this, of the season, and we're at this crossroads once again, where the Eagles are going to be forced, in my opinion, to run the football because they've got the best offensive line in the league, bar none. That's my opinion. And they can run the football whenever they want to, and they want to run the football. I don't know if you guys seen Lane Johnson. I mean, they were gashing Minnesota the other night, mm-hmm. and he was like, he was twirling his finger like, keep running the damn ball. Keep, yeah. keep yes. running it. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yep. So run it. So then what begins to happen when you run the ball like that and you dominate the line of scrimmage, now all the other things that you want to do, you can begin to implement those piece by piece because you become so dominant in the run game that now you force the defense to do things that they really don't want to do. And now you can go play action pass. You can do all these things. You get a Devontae running by a corner and a safety whose eyes are in the wrong place. Now you start to get those things because, because now that they, they've got a defense, the run and the pass instead of just the pass. So I don't think it's necessarily what Brian Johnson is calling or what he's not calling. It's what they're going to be forced to do in order to have success offensively, in my opinion. Seth Joyner is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Seth Joyner. Seth is uh, well. Seth is all over the place, including it's every every Monday at nine on ninety four WIP after the games. Is that correct? Or every yeah? Okay, there you go. I, I I need to be come on the, another show to tell you all the things that I got going on. <laughs> I well I I'm and I'm trust me I I'll get, we'll we'll get an opportunity to talk about a couple of those uh, because you are a busy man and that is good. I so much want to talk to you about the young pups on defense mm. here and what you have seen out of Jalen Carter so far and maybe improvement out of Jordan Davis because to me that is such an upbeat story. Well, I think. The the drafting of Jalen Carter and not only the national, not only the, 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 the regional, but the national attention that his play has gotten um, is going to spur Jordan Davis and Milton Williams and anybody else who's playing defensive tackle to play better because it, it, it's healthy. Don't, don't get me wrong. 
but competition, in my opinion, um, is one of the things that spurs players on because you've got an accomplished Fletcher Cox, you know, five-time, six-time pro bowler. you got Jordan Davis, you know, the 2022 first-round draft pick. And then this young kid comes in, and Milton Williams, I forget where Milton was, was drafted, but I think he was drafted pretty high. And, and then all of a sudden you get this new rookie and everybody's talking about the rookie. Nobody's talking about me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think what it's going to do is it's going to drive the competition level at, of all those other guys. You know, now that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because Jalen Carter is, he's the embody the embodiment of a Javon Hargrave and a Jordan Davis wrapped up in one. He can dominate the run. He can dominate the pass. The other guys are going to learn how to do that, even if that's not their skill set, because who wants to not be the center of attention? That's the healthy piece of it that drives it. Even even when I played, it was the same exact way. You know, we loved each other defensively, but Reggie Reggie didn't like it if Jerome got two sacks or Clyde got three. He wanted four. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, so sure. it's, it's 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 healthy. It's, it, it, trust me, it's 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 extremely healthy. And I'm also excited. You know, I'm sure you you guys will get to it, but I'll throw it out there. I'm excited about these young players that we got at linebacker and the young guys that we got at cornerback and 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 in the secondary. I really am. You know, they they were a little up against it the other night and against a better offense. You know, with much more weapons and the ability to run the football, it would have been more more of a challenge. But I really like what we have. You know, back there in the secondary. You know, they've just got to learn and they get they need experience. Seth, you you mentioned him, and I was going to bring him up to you. When I think of terrific defensive tackles in Eagles history, I'm 48 years old. I was a teenager, not to make you feel old, but I was a teenager when you were playing in those great defenses of the late 80s and early 90s were the centerpiece of the franchise. When I think of a great defensive tackle, I think of Jerome Brown. Do you see similarities between uh, the player Jerome was and – any of these young guys now along the Eagles defensive line, I'm thinking primarily of Carter, but maybe there's something you see in a Milton Williams or a Jordan Davis that reminds you of Jerome. Well, first of all, Jeff, you can't make me feel old because, you know, my lady tells me how sexy and good I look. <laughs> so I, I don't. <laughs> Second of all, um, listen, I, I talk about, you know, see, when I talk about defensive tackles and great defensive tackles, there's three guys um, in my lifetime, and I and, and these are just my picks. You know, I, I I could probably throw Howie Long in there and a couple of other guys, but when I think about great defensive tackles, I think about um, Jerome Brown, John Randall, um, and in the modern era, Aaron Donald. Mm-hmm. Three guys that are dominant, and like I said, you could throw Howie Long in there as well, and there's probably a few others, but these are the ones that comes to mind immediately. Um, before I said, you know, hey, we went and we drafted Jordan Davis. The kid is 345 pounds. He's a monster of a man. So at that weight, you don't expect for him to be able to move and have agility. So what is he? He's a space eater. So he's so big and so strong and takes up so much space, you got to block him with two people. Now, I said when they drafted him, they can get him down to 320, 325, you know, get him a jump rope, get his feet right, then he can be 
much more dominant in the in the in the past game. And that's a plus, and you're starting to see that now. I don't know where his weight is, but he got himself, got his pro body, got some got some weight off, and you know came in a phenomenal phenomenal shape, and he's playing more this year than he did last year. But when I look at Jalen Carter, he is a guy that is dominant in both areas. I mean, you can't block him one on one because of how he uses his hands. You can't block him one-on-one in the run game because he has the ability with his power and his strength to hold off a blocker, to shed a blocker, and the speed to go and get the tackle. Mm-hmm. And when he rushes the passer, you know, his ability to move people with the strength of his hands and his and his arms. Like, I, he, most of the time when you see guys, great pass rushers, they're great because they have a counter move. Jerome always had a counter move. Aaron Donald has a counter move. Most guys, you know, if they get if they're in a power rush, they stay power rush. They never go power rush to swim or speed to power. It's one or the other. But when you look at great pass rushers, they have the ability to transition. Like if you if you stymie me from speed, I can go to power. If I'm going from power and you've got me stymie, well, I can use my hands and swim and throw you off and still get to the quarterback. That's what great pass rushes do. That's what I see in Jalen Carter. Whether we're talking, whether he's defending the run or going, or going after the, the the passer, he has the ability to do that all. So yes, those comparisons are very, very valid. When I look at him play, I see Jerome Brown all over again. And I was front row center, had the opportunity to sit there and watch him do it. And also, you know, with the linebacker that was there behind him in nickel situations where he turned to me and said, hey, I'm going. I'm like, what the hell you mean you're going? Where are you going? <laughs> you know, I mean, ultimately, I knew what he was saying. And if he turned to me and he said that, nine times out of ten, he made a play for a loss. Mm. You know, so I just covered his responsibility and he took mine. Or I played off of him. But that's what great players do. They begin to play the game. And that's what I'm looking forward to is Jalen Carter getting to the place where he not only plays the game with his athleticism, and his skill, but that he begins to play the game from the shoulder pads up. We're talking with Seth Joyner, former Eagles linebacker, NFL analyst. And, Seth, the Eagles don't play again until, what, Monday night, a week from, gosh, nine days from now, I guess. I forget a week from. When you were in the league, there weren't Thursday night games unless you played on Thanksgiving. Did you like a long break, and what are the benefits and maybe drawbacks to – a long time in between games like this? Well, I mean, you can get rusty. I mean, I can't ever remember. I mean, we only played one Thursday night game, one Thursday game, and that was, you know, the game we, you know, destroyed the Cowboys and embarrassed them and beat them up, you know, on Thanksgiving. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's still, it was great. It's good good to know that game isn't top of mind for you after all these years, Seth. Well, it was, I mean, you you asked me about Yeah. Hey, Glenn, he asked me if I he ever did. played on Thursday. He opened the right? door and you I went know, right through it. I know you would play yeah. it on Thursday. It was the greatest. Yeah, so, so I mean, that's the, only, that's the only Thursday that I can relate to. And the NFL said, okay, they will never, this team will never play a Thursday game ever again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, I can assume that, you know, for some guys, you know, the focus, because, you know, you get so regimented in the season that, you know, your focus and your days are kind of numbered and regimented in a way where, you know, certain times you're ready for certain things, you know, and your body is even prepared for it. So for some guys, 
I could see it being um, a distraction, but I look at it as an opportunity, you know, for the Eagles. You know, they have so many guys that are hurt. So you got the extra time to get guys healed up and get guys back on the field, the major players. Um, you got time, you know, to get some of these young guys that are going to have to step in um, and be significant contributors up to speed, so to speak. You know, the communication thing is an issue. Derek, when Darius Slay is the only veteran that's on the field on Thursday night football and you start to see the chaos and mayhem that's going on on, in, on the back end, it's because these young guys haven't played with veterans enough to understand the importance of communication. If you're not talking, if you're not anticipating, if you're not saying, okay, if this guy does this, then we're going to do this before the snap. Once the ball is snapped, everything is just, it's a blur. Everything is going too fast. So they've got Sean Desai has an opportunity to get these young players up to speed, get them familiar and communicating so that when you come back on Monday night, you know, you're in a better position but for success, and most importantly, Sean um, um, uh, Nick Sirianni, Brian Johnson, and Jalen Hurts has an opportunity to take these last two game films and dissect on an extended, you know, period of time what defenses are doing and how they're going to counter the adjustment. What their adjustment to the adjustment is going to be to get this offense back on track, you know. Because I do believe it's a it's a combination of or a confluence of all of these things. It's not just Jalen. Everybody wants to like beat up Jalen. It's a it's it's everything. It's the play calls. It's new things that Brian Johnson may be may be implementing. Um, it's the fact that teams have caught up and they've come up with a way, you mm-hmm. know, to defend mm-hmm. Jalen. And then it's a a, a a thing of okay, how do I give Jalen the tools? to counter what he's seeing and be able to make quick decisions and the right decision to, to not miss, you know, some of the opportunities that are there that are, that have got some players like AJ Brown and maybe Dallas got it frustrated to, to, to the umpteenth degree. I, they've got to figure that out. Yep. They do. They have time to do it. Yeah. You have no. one more? No, I'm good. Okay. The man, the man has answered all my questions. Seth, it is always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, you are involved in 8,700 different things, but give us one place where people can find you over the next few days. I'm glad you said one place. Just go to SethJoyner.com. I finally got my website up. There you go. The, nice. minute, the, minute, the minute that you click on it, there's a schedule for everything that I'm doing on a weekly basis and where to find it right there. Always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Be well. Thanks, Seth. Appreciate right. it, man. There you go. Seth Joyner. When he sees Jalen Carter, he sees Jerome Brown. Jerome Brown. That ain't that ain't a bad compliment to pay a defensive no, tackle. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Let's get Rick and Easton there. Hey Rick, how are you? Gentlemen, uh, to add to Elliot's uh, resume, he's the fifth kicker ever in history that has sixty two sixty one yarders. Um Mike, great, uh, great comment. Don't tickle down my leg and call it rain. I love it. <laughs> I think I stole it from Judge Judy. See, yeah, see, uh, <laughs> I've known I've known Glenn for years. I've seen him dressed uh, a naked dance as a visual. All right, and, all right. We're in this spot. We went. We've gone from beating up Jalen Hurts to beating up to revisit there. <laughs> Got to beat my friend up. And and by the way, Shana Tova to you, my friend. Happy Thank New you. Year. Thank you very much. All right. So I've never seen a six point win where a team has two hundred and sixty yards versus thirty, four turnovers to one, 
44 rushes to nine and 40 minutes to 20 minutes on time of possession. I've never seen that before, to be honest with you. Um, you know, guys, I think after the Washington game, we talk about the speed of the game. I think the speed of the game preseason would, will be over for the Eagles, and that might be when we really know what kind of team we have. But it's interesting what Seth said and your great questions and his great answers. It reminds me of what the SEC's model is, and this is what the Redskins did for their three rings and the Raiders did for their three rings. you got to smash people in the mouth in the trenches. It takes shots down the field. And it opens the game underneath. And they, all their running backs can catch the ball. And, and their tight end is one of the best. And I think that's what the model is. If they take away the pass, then you're going to have to run the ball until they take shots down the field that opens things up for their offense. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying, Rick. And, and as I said earlier to Glenn, that's one of the reasons I like their running back situation as much as I do is that you have multiple guys who can all do multiple things pretty well. They can all catch the ball out of the backfield. They're all willing to run between the tackles. And I think they're going to need all three or four of those guys until Hurts and the passing game kind of gets itself sorted out. And maybe all it is for a couple of weeks is 50, 60-yard shots to Devontae and A.J. uh, until everything kind of settles down. And my last point, guys, is, and since Howie finally did this, you can take players out of Alabama and Georgia, but you can't take Georgia and Alabama out of the players. If they're used to hiding their ineptness and their D-backs, you know, you can name on one hand how many D-backs make it from Alabama and Georgia. I think their ineptness in the SEC to cover the pass is covered up by great defensive linemen and great rushes and they put so much pressure on the college quarterbacks, they can't even go downfield. I, 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 I have never considered – thank you, Rick. Always a pleasure. I've never considered that point, and I, I don't know. There, you know, it's interesting. Never when I was, made a list out of, of Alabama and Georgia defensive backs. He may I, have a point. He may not. When I was covering the Jets 10 years ago, they took, uh, I believe, an Alabama cornerback named – I want to say D. Milner. Uh, a listener might be able to correct me on this. My memory isn't great. And he was a washout with the Jets. Uh, they were drafting him because they had just let Darrell Rivas go, and they thought, well, this is going to be our next great lockdown corner, and the kid, between injuries and performance, never made it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder maybe if that had something to do with what Rick is getting at. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't looked at the film on Alabama and Georgia enough to know. I don't know. 215-592-9494. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now. Coming up, we are going to tell you a documentary. Well, everybody knows it's the Kelsey documentary. Yes. We both had a chance to watch it. We're going to weigh in on the magnificence of it. It's pretty great. I guess we're not going to try to hide how we feel about it. No, it was pretty great. All right. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk to you. 215-592-9494 on 94WIP. All right. What we're watching is sponsored by Guide a Door and Window. Buy a window or door and get the second and a half off with 18 months interest-free financing. Call Guide a Door and Window at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. So we're going to talk about the documentary Kelsey, um, which is on Amazon Prime. So it's an inside look at a beloved NFL veteran player who, as they go into it, I, I mean, what I heard is it was supposed to be about him finishing his career and transitioning into civilian life. And he, yeah. 
he's got the cattle farm going, and then he's got the the podcast with the brother. Except, and I hate to be the spoiler for our listeners, <laughs> he doesn't retire. <laughs> he keeps going. It's produced by former teammate Connor Connor Barwin, among others. And um, I'll toss it to you with this. I just thought it was a terrific inside look at life outside of being a football player. He's got very little football in it, but we see his home life with his wife and his daughters, and we see him out in the public and a lot on WIP. Oh, yeah. And um, it's it's a really good look at what life is like away from the field. The danger with a documentary like this, Glenn, and we've talked about this over and over again during the What We're Watching segment, is that when the program is produced with the consent and participation of the subject, you often get a whitewashed version of the subject. Yeah, you've watched a few of those recently. Right, with Johnny Johnny Manziel and the Florida football team Mm -hmm. and those sorts of things. That doesn't happen here, and it's to Connor Barwin's and the filmmaker's credit that it doesn't. You get Jason Kelsey as Jason Kelsey is, and that, of course, is a credit to him as well. Jason is so real at all times that you trust that what you're watching is really Jason Kelsey. I'll say three things that I think really stood out in the documentary to me that really made it different from those kind of whitewashed docs that seem to be popping up all over the place. Number one is the participation and the character, so to speak, of Jason's wife, Kylie. Mm -hmm. She is funny. She is smart. She's a great perspective provider throughout the whole thing because you see the strain and the stress and the life of a football wife and how much she loves him. She's pregnant during most of the documentary in the year to the point where they're making preparations, as everybody probably remembers. What happens if she gives birth while they're in Arizona for the the Super Super Bowl Bowl. or at the Super Bowl? Yeah. Um, They took their uh, obstetrician to the game. Exactly. And she's every bit as real as Jason is, and that really adds something uh, to the documentary. The other person who I think really adds a really cool layer to it is Jason's brother, Travis. Because it's very clear (laughs) in the dynamic between the two of them and in their personalities that Travis is the foil or the bad guy, quote-unquote, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Not that he's a bad guy. Right. But he's, he's the di- naughty one. Yeah, he's right. different from his yeah. brother. Yeah. And they get into that during the documentary. And, of course, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, and Travis gets to celebrate, and Jason doesn't. So there's a little bit of tension, dramatic tension there, which is really good. And then the third and final thing is, to me, there's a very powerful scene in which Jason Kelsey talks about the possibility that football is going to cause him physical damage that is going to last the rest of his life, including the possibility that he will develop CTE or some other traumatic brain disease or injury. And that's very sobering. That is the kind of moment that often in documentaries like this gets left out. And to the filmmaker's credit and to Jason's credit, they face it head on, and it adds a measure of seriousness and gravity to the documentary that really makes it stand out. Yeah, I mean, he goes so far as to say, this may shorten my life. And so he kind of weighs, like, okay, so what have I gotten? I've been able to provide so well for my family, and I've really loved what I've 
done and I've gotten, you know, the adulation of the fans and mm-hmm. become part of this community and all, all of that is great. And I may not to go get to go to my granddaughter's wedding. Yeah. And he kind of says, like, I guess that's the trade-off. Um, and it's, it, it is really an interesting, introspective look that I'm sure a lot of guys think in their mind, but he verbalized so, so well. Yeah, and, and especially given how beloved he is in this area. You can't find somebody anymore no. who has a bad word to say about Jason No, he's, a, he's an all-timer. He's so, an all-time beloved in this town. Right, and so that kind of puts the onus on... It kind of throws the question back to us, too. Like, what are we asking of this guy to play the way he plays every week and to put his body on the line, knowing that he may sustain some serious damage and shorten his life down the road for our entertainment at well, some level. I mean, that's the devil's deal that we make as fans. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's what we close our eyes to as fans. Right. right? But I that's mean, what makes the documentary if, if, great is that yeah. it's willing to ask that question. Yeah, I agree. And if you love football or violent sports, right? I mean, I stopped watching boxing and mm-hmm. UFF or you whatever because it's like I can't I can't with a good conscience watch that stuff. Right. But I do watch football. I do and too. I, and I, I, I love it too. And I, I love realize it too. that it's you know we've we've known some of these guys and mm-hmm. I've known some of these guys down the road when they really have issues but whatever um it's it's terrific the embrace from the town to me is is the thing that you see the most mm-hmm. is wherever he goes he's Jason Kelsey and they love him um and I always note when we're doing the pregame at the stadium and I always look at it all the people in their jerseys and what yeah. jerseys they're wearing right and they're wearing so many Jalen Hurts jerseys these days. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and you still see some Westbrook jerseys and so on. And so Dawkins jerseys, always a ton of those. I don't think there's ever been a center in the history of the NFL who sold as more jerseys no. as this guy. It is astounding. You see the 62 jerseys in every direction. He's a beloved figure. It, it is. And it's a remarkable time for the league, too, when you think about it, Glenn, because Tom Brady is retired. Peyton Manning is retired. Aaron Rodgers is 40 and now has torn his Achilles tendon. Yeah, what a thing that was. Right. The point being that who are the faces of the NFL? Who are the spokesmen for the league now? Now, obviously, Patrick Mahomes is one. But you can make an argument now that Jason Kelsey is one of the five faces of the league, and he's a center. I know. It's great. It's amazing. It's just great. All right. One other thing that we wanted to bring up in terms of what we're watching, because everybody who watched the game the other night saw – the broadcast team uh, and Al Michaels, who's been so great for so long. And listen, I have so much respect for Al Michaels. Same. He was nice enough. He came on with Ray and I as a Tell Us Your Story guest, and he was terrific. Iconic calls. He's been everywhere. He's a brilliant guy. But he struggled a little bit during the game, and here's one of the moments. Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. Start of the third quarter, the prime stories. 13-7 to seven is the score. With the- okay. Um, listen, I've, I've done stuff like that. I've done stuff like that on the air. And when you talk contemporaneously for a long period of time, you're going to get stuff wrong. Mm-hmm. That one looked bad. It did. It uh, did. I mean, the Eagles haven't played a game in Veterans Stadium in 20 years. Yeah. And it's a tricky thing, I think, Glenn, because you have, and we see this from announcers, coaches, players, the question of staying too long. And how do you, is there a way to exit gracefully when you're not quite as sharp as you used to be? And 
Look, Amazon went after Al Michaels because Al Michaels is Al Michaels. When he's there, it's an event. But you do see this with play-by-play announcers all the time where they've been around so long that they're not quite as sharp as they used to be. You saw it with Dick Stockton towards the end of his career. He's the name that leapt to mind when I thought of uh, Al Michaels calling Lincoln Financial Field Veterans Stadium. Is It just gets a little uncomfortable, and I wonder uh, what we're going to see from Michaels the rest of the season, and will this be his yeah. last year of calling games? I, I don't know. It's like I don't want to put too much on it. He did one other thing that I, that I scratched my head about, which was at the end of the first half when the Eagles get the ball late, and they run the ball first with Swift, but he, he rips – or uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't Swift. Boston Scott. Boston Scott. And he rips one off, and then they end up kicking the field goal. Mm-hmm. He said at the time, oh, they're padding their stats now. Like they were just doing that to put some – rather than kneel on the ball, they were right. going to run it for – now they're trying to score. That yeah. Was, that was just a weird judgmental thing, I thought. That wasn't like a lapse of you say the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And, again, I've done stuff like that, so, you know – Jeff, you've done the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, but 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 well that was played. a weird one. I I I don't know. I know a lot of people talked about the Al Michaels thing. I can't tell him that he should retire because he's Al Michaels. But I appreciate that it looked clumsy. Yeah, and I think around here there are a number number of people who remember his calls from Super Bowl Fifty Two, where every single touchdown that the Eagles scored, there was a hesitation in Michael's voice. Now, some of that was we were at a time in the NFL where every touchdown was kind of under question. Did he break the plane? Did he not break the plane? The Zach Ertz catch at the end of the game uh, fell under that category. But there was a feeling five, six years ago, like, ooh, you know, is he's kind of looking to see what really happened and – Mm-hmm. Then to have what happened the other night, where he's he's missing stuff. It's, yeah, it's a hard thing. It is a hard. At thing. At least he didn't call Herb Street Madden. That would have been bad. Yeah, that would have been worse. By the way, what do you think of Herb Street there, Danny? Oh well, so we were listening to the radio broadcast here in the studio, but having him watch, well, having watched him in other games, I like him. I mean, this guy's a a workhorse. By the way, he's on college game he day is. on Saturday. He's on Thursday night. He tweeted out his schedule this weekend. He has a kids' high school game last night. He's got NFL games. Like he's doing both, and I think he's okay. pretty good on the air. Respect to hell of him. Always liked him on college football. Felt the other night. Again, I went back and watched this thing. Specifically that, the other night you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specifically the other night. That he seemed the other night to be falling to me into the trap of a lot of color guys these days, which is they just feel the need to talk too much. Let it breathe a little bit. That mm-hmm. was You don't feel that way? Did you? A, a little bit, yeah. And I think there's been a bit of a, I don't know if decline is the right word, but it's changed over time. You and I, Glenn, were talking about this before the show. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman have now been together doing games longer than Pat Summerall and John Madden did. And there's been kind of a reevaluation of those two guys Mm -hmm. in that so many play-by-play and color teams now praise everybody that when Troy Aikman criticizes a player or a call or a coach, and Joe Buck kind of gives a little bit of a his kind of distant, detached take on things that it stands out a little more, and I like it a little more. Because I don't need to hear that every single head coach is a genius yeah. or that every single quarterback is great. And those guys now stand out more for being a little more 
objective and critical, I think. Yep. Uh, let's go to Mike in Baltimore. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you guys doing? All hey, right. Mike. I got, got to tell you, Jay, uh, Kelsey, it, it's an amazing thing when you have a player that's playing at that level. It's almost like having a tight end at center. Hey, he just moves so fast. He's a really a unique player. Yeah, and by the way, think- this is something that we didn't mention. He's still really good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh, yeah. He's still, yeah. He's still he's the best. He's at such a high level. Yeah. I mean, he really is sort of like uh, this, the second leader on offense. I mean, he, he drives that offensive line. And, I, you know, Seth Joyner made a great point. You know, you can run behind that line all day long. You've got – I mean, it's a top-notch line. I mean, it's, it's pedigree. Yep. And uh, there's not a weakness on it. You don't want to use it up early in the season and have nothing left at the end. But, you know, if you've got to lean on him a little bit, it doesn't hurt. But um, I got to tell you, the, the problem I have with the offense is really the, the dimension of the plays. It's very one-dimensional. And I, I haven't really seen Nick Sirianni step it up to that level where you can say, wow, he can really shift the game in a different gear. I know they say he made the adjustment to the run, but, you know, they ran the same play about 14 times. I mean, it was well, very – A couple of things here, Mike. First of all, Sirianni gives his offensive coordinator – I don't want to say carte blanche, but a lot of freedom to be able to call the game the way he wants. He did that with Shane Steichen, and he's doing it with Brian Johnson. And it's only been two games with Johnson calling the plays. And the other thing is, look, if it's working, keep going back to it, right? I I don't need to see a diversity of plays. You don't need to be a genius to know, you know what, every time I give the ball to number zero, he's going for 10 yards. Yeah, he's gaining five yards a shot. I don't need a diversity of play calling if one play or a couple of plays are working. Well, but but now we're seeing defenses adjust. They're going to need that. And we'll see if they can pull that rabbit. I haven't yet to see Sirianni design exceptional plays. I just don't see it. Oh, I, don't, I, don't. I, I, I yeah, disagree you, with you, you there, You didn't like Mike. that offense last year? I That was a creative, yeah. good diversified yeah, no, offense. I, I, I think disagree. they're generally well coached on offense, I think. The, the adjustments that Sirianni and the offense have had to make have been based on kind of what we saw the last couple of games, the performance of the passing game, and he's shown a willingness to run the ball and have the offense move the ball that way. I don't think it's something that over the long term the Eagles as an organization want to do. Philosophically, they want to throw the ball. That's what Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman believe in. But it ain't a bad thing that you can go 16 plays, 75 yards, and have – 13 of them be handoffs, and it works. 215-592-9494. Come in the room. We will talk to Jimmy Kempsky of Philly Voice. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Well, that was last year, and that was pretty damn good, and that was Vontae Maddox, and it appears we may not be getting that for a while because, as everybody knows, he left the game Thursday night with an injury. Dr. Mark Pollard from Cooper Duone and Joint is nice enough to join us. Doc, it has not been confirmed, but the speculation is that Avante Maddox tore his pec muscle the other night. And I guess I will ask you, what does that mean, and how long would that probably sideline him? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, your pec pec muscle is the pectoralis major. It's uh, uh, the muscle in the front of the chest, Um, essentially attaches to the sternum and the chest wall and the, and the collarbone and uh, the muscle actually in, in, inserts on the top of the humerus bone and it allows you to kind of uh, 
push the arm forward and inward. You know, the when you're if you're at the gym, it's the butterfly uh, maneuver. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when the, the pectoralis muscle gets injured, sometimes it can be the tendon pulling off the bone. Sometimes it can be the the muscle kind of pulling off the tendon. And so, um, most commonly, the tendon pulls off the bone. And so um, that uh, is generally um, uh, surgical in young, uh, active people. And so I think we've had multiple uh, examples of these through the years. I I think it may have been J.J. Watt had this a few years ago. I think ago. you're right, Doctor, and, yes. And, and I think he was back in three months or something, which is generally considered a bit on the quick side. Um I think traditionally it's thought about six months to getting back to activities. Um, interestingly, I think T.J. Watt was it last year had a, I think had a partial injury, which they elected to treat non-operatively, and I believe he was back playing in four to six weeks or something of that nature. How do torn pecs generally happen, doctor? I mean, we see knee injuries often. You can tell when a football player or baseball player or basketball player lands awkwardly or pivots awkwardly on his knee. Uh, Is there a general way that a torn pec takes place, a certain movement that leads to it? Um, Typically, the the classic way is actually somebody doing a bench press um, and that kind of uh, motion. Uh, Typically, when you're bringing the bar down um, is when you're most prone to be injured. So imagine that kind of motion, uh, you know, during a football game. So if you're reaching out and trying to forcefully push somebody um, is typically how these things happen. All right. So a torn pec, you say maybe optimistically 12 weeks, which again, back the end of the year, the playoffs, if it's less than that, I forget what the word you, you use sprain pec, maybe, maybe a month, Mm. that would be the realistic look at it. Yeah, it's, you know, until they get the MRI, and I yeah. assume that they, they've got the MRI already, then they can characterize exactly, you know, what kind of an animal they're dealing with. And that goes a long way towards, you know, treatment and prognosis, of course. Yeah. Doc, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Enjoy your weekend. Yeah, thanks so much. You too. All right, there thanks, you go. Thanks, doctor. Um, and they probably know the Eagles yeah. don't have to release right. medical information until, I forget what day it is next week, but they're they're not going to tell you until they have to tell you. Um so we saw some Mario Goodrich and Mario some Goodrich, Josh Job. Josh Job, so yeah. Here's my question for you. There was a lot of speculation during the offseason that the Eagles might be in the hunt for Buda Baker, who was with Arizona, who was unhappy with his deal and looking to get traded, and he wasn't. Nothing wrong with a little in-season trade, Mike Sielski? I think it's worth looking into. The Arizona Cardinals – don't want to win games this season. Let's well, be they very hired the right coach. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, cheap shot. Cheap shot at Jonathan Gannon, but really, that's what they want to do. They want to tank as much as the NFL allows a team to tank. So, trading Buda Baker, who's a good player, would seem to help them in that regard. Right. So, if I'm Howie Roseman, I'm picking the phone up. There you go. Let's hope so. Mike and Kate May, you're on 94 WIP. Will, Will and Kate. Will, May. I'm sorry, Will. I don't know where I got Mike. Will and Mike, hey guys, linebackers. how you doing? All hi, right. Hi, Jeff. How are you? No, no. Just I go ahead, Will. I'm sorry. <laughs> Is this Al Michaels I'm talking to? No, all right. All right. <laughs> okay. Well done. Well right. done. Hey, hey, I like the guy. I like Al Michaels. I, I, I enjoy listening to him. I don't care if he makes mistakes. But anyway, mm-hmm. I want to say three things, and just let me get through it if you don't mind. Um, two compliments and one 
criticism. You probably get two comments are the adjustments made on our offense. The fact that we saw it wasn't working and we went to the run and uh, and won the game because of it. Two, our defensive coordinator. Um, I didn't like the first game. Um, He rushed four guys. We weren't getting to him. We rushed five guys this time. And even though we only had two sacks, they were causing so much pressure on Cousins. And Cousins had a great game, great game. And I don't like the guy at all, but he had a great game. And I think that if he continues that, we're going to be dominant. The two criticisms I got are, why in the heck did we go for a one-point conversion when a two-point conversion would have got us 14 points ahead? Will, number one. you are speaking to the Dan Wilson choir. Dan mm-hmm. mentioned this to us before the show that – it escaped everybody's attention that Sirianni should have decided to go for two after Swift's was it Swift who scored the last touchdown, correct, I think? And the Eagles are up 34-21, or 33-21, excuse me. Go for two so that you stretch it to a 14-point lead. They didn't. They kicked the extra point. And if the Vikings had managed to get the ball back, they could have theoretically won the game. Yes, Swift scored with 413 to go in the fourth. Like, zero excuse to not try and go for two and go up 14. Like, just to sleep at the wheel. Yeah. Like, I don't know what else that is. I, I, I The difference between be honest, 12 and 13 I did not, is... I did not notice it at the time, but I, I you're, had my you're head, absolutely right. I had my head buried in my laptop. I was writing a column on deadline and felt like, now I can finally write that the Eagles are going to win this game. No, I, I understand. It so, wasn't exactly like the lead and it didn't matter. No, but, I mean, but it's, you're there. Like, you, and you they won it. by... By the way, the spread was six and a half for a lot of people, mm-hmm. so I'm sure important to some here um but seriously like i mean if they lost by one point the first and every question is like what are you doing you're absolutely right it's a good point good by job you, by Dan you Wilson. danny good job by you danny 215-592-9494 mike sealski glenn mack now on 94 wip hey it's that time of year again to consider replacing your old drafting windows and doors before another long cold winter season rolls in the great people at guided door and window they'll help They'll make your window and door replacement project much more affordable with their buy one, get one half half off sale. For every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off, and you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. So you buy an entry door, you get a half off a storm door. You buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, you save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down, interest-free financing for up to 18 full months. Act now. Offers for a limited time. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free. No obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. All right, as we bring in our next guest, Jimmy Kemsky of phillyvoice.com, I didn't particularly have this on the list of things I wanted to ask him about, but uh, Dan just played the that highlight for Merrill and Mike the other night. Jimmy, is there anything as beautiful in football as the tush push? It is <laughs> It is a wondrous achievement of engineering and muscle. You know, it's funny because a couple teams tried that week one. I think it was the Colts and uh, I forget who the other one was. And they didn't get it. Nope. <laughs> so it's not just that it's uh, an unstoppable play. It's only an unstoppable play when you have Jason Kelsey and Jalen Hurts running it. And that, to me, Jimmy, is what makes some of the calls in the national media to ban the play so silly, is that nobody does it as well as the Eagles do it. So why would you ban something that most teams can't pull off? 
Well, they do it because they can't <laughs> and they don't want to defend it. Yeah. So that's why, uh, you know, teams around the league want, wanted to see that gone in the same way that, you know, like last year, remember early in the season, they had uh, an, a heavy emphasis on illegal man downfield penalties. And we're really calling that super tight because there are certain teams that don't run RPOs and don't want to defend them. So you have teams that sort of lobby to get rule changes based upon, you know, what they do well and what they don't. All right. What was not so wondrous in the, in the first two games of the year, and certainly the other night, was the Eagles passing offense, which just has not been accurate, crisp. Uh, it wasn't what we saw last year. I know it's two weeks, and I'm certainly not going to worry about it too much, but I don't like what I see. What, what do you see? What are the reasons they haven't gotten this together? Yeah, defenses are doing a lot of creative things to slow the Eagles' offense down. Like Brian Flores, who is the Vikings defensive coordinator, the Vikings ran just a lot of chocolate, I'll call it, instead of vanilla. <laughs> or maybe like, I don't know, more exotic uh, ice cream. They were like, uh, they barely ran any any like typical rushes at all, like four-man rushes. It was all just blitzing, and then they were either that or they were dropping eight guys into coverage. So they were going on the two extremes there, which they did a lot of week one as well. But the, the Patriots uh, week one you know, kind of had a similar approach in that they were really kind of disguising their coverage as well, and they were doing a lot of things pre-snap and then you know shifting you know after the snap and uh, just a lot of things that, that the Eagles didn't see a lot of last year. And, you know, post-game – Jason Kelsey explained, you know, this is going to be the name of the game for them this season. They're just going to see chaos on defense, which um, is smart for opposing defense yeah. to, mm-hmm. to, to show, you know, to be a lot more unpredictable. And when you do those sorts of things, you know, you leave yourself vulnerable uh, on, on, you know, in, in certain ways. But, you know, being vulnerable and maybe confusing the quarterback is, being, is, is a lot better than being vanilla and just getting shredded by this Eagles defense. So they're going to see this for a while until they kind of come up with answers for it. And they did week two, by the way. So, you know, they, they were smart in that they realized that the Vikings were going really light uh, on their back seven and even up front. And they just started running the hell out of the ball and the Vikings couldn't stop it. So there's going to be ways that they can adjust in game. And that'll be sort of the name of the game for them is, you know, how do they adjust in game to what they're seeing defensively? But, you know, the days of them just being able to go out and, and, and shredding defenses because they know what the defense is going to do, I think they're over. So, Jimmy, it sounds like what you're saying that is that we might see a bit of a return to the way the offense looked in the second half of 2021, but not necessarily because they wanted to protect – they want to protect Hurts as a passer as much as it is this is what defenses are giving them and they have the capability of taking it and scoring anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, what they always have is that run game to, to fall back on, that elite run game. And, you know, we saw, you know, on Thursday night, they have up over 250 rushing yards, of course, and they've done that plenty in the past where they've, yeah, I think that somebody put, threw out a stat during the Nick Sirianni presser uh, after the game that they've had 10 such games like that, I think, in, in his era as the head coach. So they always have that to lean back on. Uh, but, you know, I don't think they want to be content being that kind of offense when they have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. And, by the way, A.J. Brown being upset with the number of targets that he got in that game. And, you know, Dallas Goddard as a receiver. And, you know, have a couple running backs and DeAndre Swift and Kenny Gamow catch the ball out of the backfield. They don't want to be a run-heavy team, but at the same time they can always fall back on that if things aren't going well in the passing game. 
We're talking with Jimmy Kemsky, longtime Eagles beat reporter and stick figure drawer for phillyvoice.com. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, you mentioned the, the back and forth between A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts in the aftermath. What, what's your take on that? My feeling is it doesn't necessarily have to be a big thing. I think the Eagles did themselves a disservice by kind of answering questions about it, or at least a couple people, Nick Sirianni and Devontae Smith, answering questions about it in the way that they did, where they kind of tried to pretend nobody saw that it happened when, in fact, everyone saw that it happened. Yeah. Um, what, what's your What's your take on this, and is it something we ought to be worried about, or is it going to go away in time and become an afterthought? Well, it's not new. He did it in the playoff game last year against the Giants, um, where you know he wasn't happy with the targets that he was getting in that game and, and showed his frustration. Devontae Smith, even in a different Giants game, you know, uh, before AJ Brown got there in 2021, when they threw a few times to Rager mm-hmm. <laughs> down the stretch hey, of that game, you can't blame him there. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got <laughs> cause there. He was, he was rightfully upset after that game with the way that that unfolded. And you know what? I think at that position. You're fine with guys. I don't want to call it a temper tantrum, but you're fine with guys throwing temper tantrums with, uh, you know, the, their lack of getting the ball, especially when they're very, very good players like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are. So, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think it's really a big deal. And I think you almost kind of want that to some degree with your wide receiver. You don't want them to be Terrell Owens doing sit-ups in his driveway. But I think it's fine uh, that they're competitive and they want the ball and, and they want to help their team. Jimmy Kemsky is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Jimmy Kemsky, K-E-M-P-S-K-I. Uh, the flip side of how porous Minnesota was on run defense is how stout the Eagles were on run defense. It was a thing of beauty starting with that defensive line. And we, Mike and I have talked a lot today about the young kids up there and how well they are doing, kind of your perspective on that. Yeah, week one, they have a couple of big backs that they faced in Ramon J. Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott. They did a great job on those two guys in the run game. And then week two, you know, Lester running back in Alexander Madison, who, you know, they forced a fumble against. They forced a fumble against Zeke, by the way, week one. I mean, I think Stevenson and, and Zeke combined for something like 15 to 20 carries, like 50 yard, 50-something yards. So they barely did anything on the ground when – you know, they wanted to be a run-heavy offense. I mean, the Vikings basically just abandoned the run from the coin toss. <laughs> like, you know, they yeah. only ran the ball, I think it was nine or ten times in, in the entire game, and they rushed for like 20-something yards. Like, the Eagles outgained them on the ground, 256 to 28, I think it was, something like that. So, yeah, I think what we're seeing here is Jordan Davis, first of all, has absolutely taken his game to the next level from his rookie season into this year. He's got a sack and a half already, and he's been really good up front against the run. He only had 17 snaps in that game against the Vikings, so it wasn't really necessarily a quote-unquote Jordan Davis game because they weren't going to run the ball much, so he didn't get to play that much, and he still made an impact. So, <laughs> like, he's still at a sack, and uh, he still did clog up, you know, the, the run lanes on early downs. So it's, he's been really encouraging thing to see. Obviously, Jalen Carter – has been an immediate force in the middle of that defense. Fletcher Cox, I think, has been really good the first few games. And then even a guy like Milton Williams has been disruptive, too. So those guys in the in the interior part of the defense have really done a good job shutting down and basically just making teams not want to run the ball against them. Of course, on the back end, they haven't been able to cover many guys. Right, right. So, like, that's sort of the offset. But uh, I think that, you know, as this season progresses, when teams become one-dimensional like that, they're just going to be a lot easier to defend. And when they get healthy bodies back, too, that'll help. Jimmy, would you be open to Howie Roseman picking up the phone and 
making a phone call or two and inquiring about another linebacker or safety. Glenn had thrown out the name Buda Baker earlier. Uh, yeah. The Cardinals want to lose games, and getting rid of a good player like Baker would be an easy way to facilitate that process. What do you think there? They're going to have to weather the storm for a while because teams aren't going to trade yet. I mean, a team like the Cardinals may very well because they know what they are. I mean, they're, they're basically tanking this season. So, yeah, Buda Baker would make sense, certainly, uh, at any time. Uh, but I think you're going to have to wait maybe like a month, month and a half for them to get closer to the trade deadline to see which teams, you know, seasons have already gone in the toilet. But, yeah, certainly I think they're going to be very open to trading for a linebacker. Uh, I think safety's another one. Slot corner now, of course, is, is a possibility yeah. with Avante Maddox, you know, um, you know, likely done for the season. So, yeah, I think those are the three spots to watch. Slot corner, safety, linebacker. Um, what do we know about injuries? How worried are we about the injuries from last week, most of which were ribs and uh, I guess Maddox being the key yesterday? It looked like he could be out for the year. Well, the report is a, a torn peck. So yep. if it's that, then, yeah, he's done. Um, Bradbury had the concussion. It's really hard to get through the concussion protocol on a short week from Sunday to Thursday. I think we saw like Brent Selleck only missed one game in his career and it was because of that. So it was like a Sunday game into Thursday. <laughs> he just didn't clear the concussion mm-hmm. protocol in time. Uh, so I imagine Bradbury will be back next week. Um, and then uh, Reed Blankenship with the ribs, as you mentioned. So in the first game, he hurt his ribs and then he went back in. He's flying around the field. He's making tackles. Did not look affected by it at all in the locker room after the game. Didn't sense, you know, he was in any kind of pain. So it was a little surprised to me that he wasn't available for week two. I'm sure they shot him up or something you know, during that game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I imagine that he'll probably be back fairly soon. Boston Scott, I think, was in the concussion protocol during this past game. But yeah, I don't think those are really serious injuries. Obviously, the big one is Kobe Dean. Uh, he won't be back, and he won't be able to play again until uh, the week four game, or excuse me, the week six games, week six game against the Jets, because he's got to miss at least four games because he's on IR. So again, like I said, they're going to have to weather that storm at linebacker for a little while with Zach Cunningham and Christian Ellis and Nicholas Morrow, and they're not exactly uh, Dick Buckus and, no. <laughs> and like Michael Singletary in there. Uh, but yeah, so you know. The, their uh, their injuries, they have a lot of guys that I guess have been hurt so far, but they haven't had the only real devastating one so far is Maddox, it appears, uh, whereas all those guys are going to be back at some point. And you need all those guys back for that really difficult stretch beginning like week seven or eight, I think it is, and then through until basically like week 15. Those, those That's the real stretch of the season where they're going to be, be healthy or at least as healthy as the teams they're playing. Jimmy, Let's take a step back from the Eagles just for a second. I know we're only, you know, really one week into the season, but was there anything that opening weekend that stood out to you, surprised you? Uh, you know, I have not been as high on the Giants uh, uh-huh. as, as people in New York who cover the Giants have been. I didn't think they'd lose 40 to nothing to the Cowboys. Again, it's early to draw conclusions, but was there anything from week one where that made you kind of take notice and say, oh, I didn't expect that? So I think the two teams that the Eagles have to, you know, kind of the, the two biggest threats in the NFC are very clearly the Cowboys and mm-hmm. the 49ers. Now, not, not that either of their outcomes were a huge surprise. I mean, I was surprised the Cowboys just bludgeoned <laughs> the, the Giants the way that they did. But, man, their defense looks great. I mean, they look like a swarm of bees going after Daniel Jones on, like, every play. 
So that defense is legit. The Eagles are going to have to have an answer, an answer for them when they play them twice this year. And then the 49ers, nothing went wrong. for Everything went right for that team. Like Brock Purdy looked like, in that game anyway, looked like a legit top 10 type of quarterback. Their defense completely shut down that Steelers offense. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, who's sort of like uh, you know, their third guy in the offense mm-hmm. after you know, Debo Samuel and, and George Kittle, he looked awesome in that game. They had a third running game was in full force. Christian McCaffrey had a long run and a big day. Everything that could have gone the way that 49 – by the way, Nick Bosa signed his contract yes. and finally got in-house. Even if they overpaid him a little bit, he's there now. So, like, they're, they were in basically every, – everything that could have gone well for that team did week one. So, I think after the first week of the season, again, not that I think this, this is a huge surprise, but those teams – I think look even more threatening than I thought they were going to look, you know, heading into the season. So uh, they, they've certainly looked better in that first, you know, game in the season than the Eagles have in their first two. Okay. I have a, one more question. It comes from a Mr. Jay Conklin, who has written okay. to, to say, um, <laughs> shouldn't Nick Sirianni have taken some heat for immediately calling plays for AJ Brown after Brown threw a fit? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. I mean, Technically, they kind of worked because they found him in the end zone for a touchdown and just got called back for a holding call. And then on the next play, I mean, Hurts threw a dime to him down the field, and it should have – I mean, it was a very clear defensive pass interference. They should have gotten the ball at the one. So, in theory, it worked. But, uh, you know, I don't – I think it's fine because they've done that in the past before. Like, Devontae Smith didn't get any targets week one last year, and it was pretty clear they are going to go to him early in the second game, and they did. And then, you know, Dallas Goddard didn't get any targets week one this year. He led the team in targets uh, week two, you know, this past Thursday night. So, you know, I think they do a good job of sort of managing these personalities. I don't necessarily think it uh, – I think the fear maybe from, from Joe there is that they fear they're giving into like a temper tantrum or something like that. But I think it's, uh, it's smart to kind of to, to kind of ease the – you know, emotions of some of these players. I think the one real criticism of Vic Sirianni from that game is why didn't he go for two when they were up 12 late in that yeah. game? We, we, yeah. just, we just talked about that it's last Dan segment. Wilson uh, point. So, so you're saying Dan Wilson makes, has a more important question than Joe Conklin. That's your bottom line. Okay, just want to check. Mike, last one to you. No, Jimmy, just curious. How are you spending the weekend without an Eagles game? Are you just plopping down and watching college football all day tomorrow and the NFL or all day today and the NFL all day tomorrow? I'm at, I'm at the Jersey Shore, which this is my favorite time of the year to oh, be at yes. the Jersey Shore. Yep, absolutely. LBI, more specifically, they turn off all the traffic lights, so they're done. You don't, like it doesn't take it doesn't take an hour to get from like Surf City to Beach Haven, and then like the weather's still nice. Not not as many people here. I happen to surf, and the waves are huge today. Uh, probably actually a little too big. I'm not going to paddle out, but uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a nice relaxing weekend here at the shore. Nice. Enjoy. You've earned it. Jimmy Kemsky, always a pleasure. Appreciate it, guys. All right. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. See you down the road. There you go. Surfer? I didn't know he surfed. It's impressive. Yeah. You ever surf? No. no. Surfed when I lived in Florida way, love, way back at the no. beginning. Love to swim. Never learned to surf. I, I um, started my career in Cocoa Beach, Florida. my first newspaper job. Mm-hmm. And uh, the famous Ron John Surf Place is there, right? You've seen the sure. bumper stickers of the yeah. year. So you go there and you try to surf. So I surfed for like a year or two. I got like, I mean, there weren't going to be any highlight films, but I I could stand on a board, the board would move, and I would be on the board. So you were kind of like Keanu Reeves in one of my favorite movies, Point Break. Yeah, you had I to see, learn it from the ground up. I had to learn it from the water up. 
from the water up. Are water. you telling me the FBI is going to pay me to learn to surf? Speaking of Joe Conklin, that was pretty good. Not bad, huh? That was that was not a bad Keanu. That's a great movie. I don't great often movie. often get a big call for Keanu Reeves imitations, but when that time comes, we're coming again. I am an FBI agent. <laughs> he's been in so many bad movies, but he's been in so many good movies. I was just watching Speed last night. Great Speed movie. Speed is fun. Top Speed. ten all time action movie. It's pretty good. It's pretty ridiculous uh, plot line, but yeah, sure. Ah, and and. A, if Sandra the bus Bullock, goes under fifty five under fifty five miles an hour, everybody dies. And an all time great villain in Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper's a great villain, absolutely. Drew has been hanging. Hello, Drew. Hey guys. Hey. Hey, Drew. Hey. Uh, yeah, Dennis Hopper always upgrades the situation. So if he, I mean, you just can't go wrong. You know, he'll improve anything. So absolutely. if it's bad, it becomes you know. If it's bad, it becomes medium. If it's medium, it becomes good. He's he's awesome. He's great. Um, kind of like Christopher Walken too. Um, yes. same thing. Yes. But, uh, but, uh, yeah. So a birds thing, uh, I wanted to ask you guys about, uh, I'm, I'm not joining the, 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 uh, loud and, uh, you know, uh, consensus, uh, overthinking that I think, think is going on after these first two games, all this, all the over analysis of hurts and I mean, you know, we need something to talk about, I feel like, and, uh, you know, um, so I'm not joining that. I feel like it's overdone. But um, what I want to ask about was uh, I've been daydreaming about this uh, in terms of uh, Nolan Smith. I know he's hurt right now, um, but it's going to be hard for him to crack the starting lineup as an edge rusher right now, right? But um, could he potentially join uh, Nicobe Dean as a just a tremendously, you know, agile, fast linebacking duo? I mean, uh, he's got all the tools. Well, I think. Look, he's an outside backer. Uh, he's, you know, he's supposed to be. They drafted him to be Hassan Reddick 2.0 in a way. So if you're out there, if he's out there, they're going to want him coming after the quarterback. Dean's a little different in that regard. He's supposed to be the nerve center of the defense. Uh, they're not having Zach Cunningham, from what I can tell. Maybe I'm wrong about this. I missed it on film. But they're not having him kind of play the same sort of role that Nolan, Nolan Smith would play if Nolan Smith were playing. So... We'll see. You know, he's got to get healthy first. Uh, but I, I think I would be a little surprised if he made a major contribution this season only because he's injured and a little behind the eight ball right now. Yeah. Yeah. But I was just thinking about, you know, it would be nice to have all of them on the field it's together. a lot of promise. You know? uh, yeah. I mean, so yeah. much to those young guys. And it's funny because you say that because I was just – I was doing the math in my head. So I'm thinking – here's what I'm thinking. I think seven and a half sacks from Jalen Carter this year. Okay. You do what you go back to the. the I think. Shh, please. Okay. Uh, the floor is yours. Uh, well, the pace he's on. I mean, I had uh, Jordan Davis down for five. I mean, he's already at one and a half. So I'll, you know, we'll stick at five. Okay. okay. Uh, five and a half. Okay. Another. Make thirteen. Ryan, let's even it off. I think I can get four from Nolan Smith. That's seventeen. Uh, maybe two from Nicobe Dean comes back nineteen, and uh, who knows? Ringo on a safety blitz twenty. Hello, is Ralph's restaurant out there listening? <laughs> I, I, Hello, Jimmy Rubino. The, these totals that you're coming up with are yeah. all predicated on the idea yeah. that none of the Eagles' opponents are going to adjust to the fact that Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith are good players. There's five of them. I understand that there's five They're of them. They're all over the place. But you can't defend five guys. You can't single block Hassan Reddick either. Nor will they. 
which is to my benefit. Uh, we'll see. Okay. I'm feeling, you know, again, it's just two weeks in, but uh, all, all I need two is two and a half to nil lead makes me think of a nice veal parm. All I need is one week of Hassan Reddick being uber Hassan Reddick, yeah, going you, NFC Championship game against somebody, yeah. and I'm right back you in could, this you thing. Could, you could get three and a half sacks a game. Yeah. You could. Yeah. As could I? Yeah. Well, we'll see. Okay. We'll see. First man of 20 wins. <laughs> Two one five. That was not in the original. Uh, bet. No, I don't. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Hey, how about we talk a little fight and fills in the next segment as they uh, yeah I was got by s- the cards yesterday. We gave everybody time to get over the adjective watching that game last uh, night. Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll talk about that uh, and call about whatever's on your mind. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Mike and Glenn on ninety four WIP. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack. Now let's get Chris and Yaden up here, and then we'll talk a little so, Phillies. Hello, Chris. But then after that. Chris, you're not talking to us. Hello. Oh, my bad. I was talking to my cousin. I got about you. The game. We got you now. My cousin about the game. All so right. This, All right. Is, this is what I wanted to say. Um, I, like the, I like the way um, Howie Roseman built the teams in the trenches, because right now that's where we're winning until we actually figure this, what other teams is doing to us. I've been saying that offensive line need to tee off, because right now trying to block – Without that RPO going well, it's not going well. You know what I mean? And that's why Jalen looks so skittish going down early. Not, really, I think he went down early just trying to protect. You know, I think they told him not to put himself in harm's way. But going down early, so run the ball. You got four running backs that are capable. Run it. So I, I think that's the effect that they should – I mean, that's the answer to that. But as far as the passing game – is it possible that they could roll Jalen out to give him a few more seconds? Well, look, I think they have plays in the playbook with designed runs and design design motion with Hertz, but you want to keep everything. You want to keep defenses guessing as much as you can, and I think you're right, Chris. The easiest way to do that is to kind of pound teams into submission until they are forced to play run first, and then you can come back and the passing game will be opened up. All right, let's get a little Phillies highlight going right here. All right, so that's that's all. Let's let's start with the good. Okay. The good was they got off to a four nothing lead and were able to hold on to that. <laughs> uh, that Nick Castellanos, who has been in a slump recently, hit his twenty fourth home run of the year. He's mm-hmm. on pace for hundred RBIs. It's going to be a very productive year, uh, and that they won the first game of a road trip. All good. It was a little harder than it should have been. It, it it was. It was. And I know where we're heading with this. We're heading to another discussion of Aaron Nola. And it, ha- others. It, it has to be a concern and a discussion topic. And I understand that some of the frustration with Nola, I, I've always felt like is a little bit overstated, only because he's going to give you 30 starts. At his worst, he's still a third or fourth starter and is solid, and every once in a while he cranks it up. But I think going into the playoffs and the latter half of of September, counting on Aaron Nola to be what he was in the first two playoff rounds last year could get you in trouble. Glenn, I was looking at the numbers. He's beaten two teams with a winning record in the last month Two months, I I would say, maybe month and a half. One of them was the Toronto Blue Jays in mid-August when he allowed four runs in five innings, so not exactly a sterling outing. And the only one where he game where he really did pitch well against a team with a winning record, he beat the Giants at home 
in late August, seven innings, two runs. He's the, the games he's having where he's pitched well have been against teams like the Cardinals and the Pirates, who the Phillies aren't going to see in the playoffs. And, you know, last night, same kind of thing. He gets the first two outs in the fifth and is nibbling against Nolan Arenado and eventually walks him, and then he gives up a hit, and then he's out of the game, and you're back into the bullpen. And we've yeah. talked about the bullpen and how they're tired, and you don't want to have to go to them if you, you don't want to go to them if you don't have to. Uh, you know, it's still a concern. It's a real concern. It doesn't get better, and it is. I mean, you, you're kind of describing it. Like, he looks fine, he looks good, and then as soon as a guy gets on base, it's it's a problem. Um, listen, he's always had a tough time holding runners. He's always, throughout his career, sometimes seems a little bit unnerved. I don't know if he still you – know, I mean, we talked about this, whatever, a week or two ago. If, if this, The pitch clock is still an issue – that, like, the rest of the world adjusted, and he still has a problem with it. Um, but you kind of knew it, and I and I heard the uh, I heard Scott Fransky as I was driving mm-hmm. home last night. It's like, Nola, guy's on, and it's like, all yeah. of a sudden, it's like, he can't get through the fifth inning. Yeah. Come the, on, man. The, the, the at-bat against Arenado really bothered me yeah. because they were up, if I believe, it was a 4-3 four, four. game, I think, 4-3 or 5-3 at that point. Okay, look, if you allow a home run to Nolan Arenado, there's no shame in that. The guy's one of the best pit hitters in baseball. Throw strikes. Come after him. But instead, it's this nibbling. It's a pitch that's six inches off the inside corner and another pitch that's six inches off the inside corner. And then you've walked him, and then you've allowed a single. And all of a sudden, now there are men on base. Now you're in danger of giving up the lead. And now you've got to get to the bullpen really early yeah. in the game. Really early, and the bullpen worries me a little bit. Alvarado looks pretty kind of cooked. Yeah, I, uh, which is you worry about. And Kimbrel's been a little bit up and down recently, and Sir Anthony has not been very good recently. Uh, so at least a couple of those guys are going to have to play well. Jeff Hoffman is, He's you know, what a saver he has been. He has bailed them out. Uh, look, I think if assuming they're a wild card team, which I think is a pretty safe assumption, you're going to get games at Citizens Bank Park, and maybe the environment in the postseason makes is a is a boost to them it certainly was last season I think it's the best home field advantage in the sport maybe that changes the dynamic but at this point you kind of got to say man they're going to have to win playoff games seven to six eight to seven and that's not a great recipe for Uh, for getting back to the world series it's not but it's baseball's baseball playoffs as we have seen over the years can be pretty unpredictable sure and so I I go into them with when they go into the playoffs, I'm going to think like, "Hey, they got a they got a crapshooter's chance." They yeah. Could, they, oh, they, right. It could happen again. Right. And and I I have said all of that about concerns about the pitching and all of that. And yet, big and yet, I still wouldn't want to play him in a short yeah, series. I agree. Because all it takes is one or two guys in a lineup full of guys who can hit the ball out of the ballpark to get hot. And if you're the Braves or if you're the Cubs or the Brewers or whoever, you could be bounced out of there pretty quickly because this team is just pouring runs on. One other thing I, I will say, Bryce Harper shouldn't have gotten himself thrown out yesterday. No, no. It was a terrible call. It wasn't the first terrible call of that at bat. Ump- umpiring is, to me, reached a critical, uh, problematic situation in baseball. But regardless of that, these are very important games. You just got hosed on a call. You, just, your team has just lost three out of four to the Braves. Right. 
Like, come on, stay in the line. Right. You got to stay out there. And I thought that while I appreciated the anger, that the righteous anger that he felt, he's a really smart guy and should not have allowed it to overcome him at that moment. I, I have an idea, Glenn. Mm. Just to bring this back to the Eagles real quick. How about next Eagles home game, standing ovation for Brian Johnson? What do you think? Wait, what, how that? What, what, well, we, we look at what happened with Trey Turner. Well, where did you come up with? Like, what? That was a weird transition. Well, only because we're talking about the Phillies and we're talking okay. about, you know, the fact. So, that so it, it's a Philly connected thing. So with the standing I, I understand. Is Brian Johnson getting that much heat and abuse? I'm just saying that it seems to have magical properties. You know, it's a great thing about the great to, thing about the Trey Turner thing was it was a one time thing. Oh yeah, it is not transferable. Okay, because. Because several of our hosts, who did they want it uh, converted to? I forget who it was. Oh, oh, uh, Harden. Oh, oh well, no, that would never work. Right? Sar- somewhat sarcastically, I think. Oh, I mean, it I hasn't happened. You think opening night, Harden's getting a standing ovation? No, no, no. I'm saying several of our hosts said, if you can do it for Trey Turner, you should do it for Harden. You should be able to do it for Harden, and then he'll be happy. And, and but I, I mm, no, no, I, I don't I, see it. Yeah, no, no I, I don't see it. For anybody else, that was no. and, and again, I give all credit to Jack Fritz. He's the genius behind this thing, and it worked brilliantly. But to me, it's clearly like that was a one-time, unique situation of a great player who had come here and struggled. But you could tell he was working hard, and he's a good guy, and everything about it deserved the moment, and he got it. And since that time, he's turned into Babe Ruth. There's nothing to unlock in James Harden that a standing ovation is gonna gonna do. It's not like he was playing poorly, but there was much more that was untapped yet. You're going to get James Harden at this stage of his career, which is dribbling the ball a lot and not getting to the rim and you know, being a, a point guard at best. Yep. I hear you. All right. 215-592-9494. We'll come back, give you a couple of other brilliant observations, turn it over to Dan Wilson for what we've got to talk about. Or give it to Go Birds Radio, James and Elliot today. Is correct, correct, yeah. Well, they'll be picking over the bones of that game. Uh, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now. Mike, uh, what do you got the rest of the day? What's going up for you? Not anything that's really set in stone. I'm going to get home. I'm going to maybe go for a run or a walk, do a little work on the stuff for the Inquirer and the book I'm writing and uh, have dinner with my family and... You know, probably have a nice low-key night. How about you? Probably less than that. <laughs> well, I I have been out of the house every night since uh, last, well, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I had stuff every night out of the house. You are a man uh, about and, town. And I, thank you. And I will this coming week. I have something Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, maybe Thursday. I don't remember. So, like, tonight You're is... It is like Chinese food and and mm. catch up on shows that I haven't been your, able. to Your watch. British cop shows. Yeah, I watch some of my British cop shows. If you're doing nothing at eleven tonight, make sure that you turn on NBC Sports Philadelphia and watch the newest episode drop of What's Brewing. I'm glad it's on tonight and not last night because the Phillies game was on Apple TV last night, and you can't switch channels that, when it's on Apple TV. You know what? It is a great point that like a lot of people don't understand when the games are on streaming. Mm-hmm. I am unable to watch one show at a time. I can't, I'm the same way. Can't I have to it. like flip and go back and forth. And when it's streaming like that, you can't do it. But yes, 
Uh, the beer show is on tonight at 11 o'clock, and Lou Bryce and I went to Lancaster. Ooh. Yeah, I went to a couple good places out in Lancaster. Mad, mm-hmm. Mad Chef Craft Brewing tonight. Do you have Amish beer? No, we did not, but we had some really good beer, as a matter of fact. Actually, one of the things we did tonight is there's a guy, Jeff Eichender, I want to thank the guy, uh, who's out in Jersey, who saved over the years a bottle of Thomas Hardy Ale, which is an English ale, which you're supposed to let it age over mm-hmm. time, right? So the longer, most beers you want to drink them fresh, but right. these beers you let them age. He's been collecting them since it started in like 19, um, like 70 something. Wow. And so he brought to the show a bottle from approximately 1986, 1990 something, and 2000 and something. Wow. And we opened them and drank them. And it was just a really interesting exercise to see how this stuff ages and how different it is over time. But we had a great time and had great Drinking beer, beer like it's wine. Yeah, so it was pretty good. Um, anyway, so I don't have a whole lot going on, but I wish everybody a good one. And I especially want to wish all my brethren and sisterin a joyous uh, New Year, starting with our pal Happy. and producer, Dan Happy Wilson. Yeah, yes. uh, I trust that you had a lovely uh, Rosh Hashanah last night with the fam. Well, actually, today I'm going to not one but two, uh, both my own family and my girlfriend's family, but 15 minutes apart. We're bouncing uh, both of them. So when you go to two. Yes. Like, are you going to eat at both? Are you like going to? I mean, say, knowing like, myself, have... probably. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to have the have ice cream. You seen cream, me at Ralph's? Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the gr- that's the beauty of going to two. You walk into the second one, they don't even know what you had at the first. Okay. Yeah. So Two good meals, lots of wine. Oh yeah, enjoy the, the, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. So I'm, I'm looking, and ironically, so here's a uh, my dad actually made this joke to me last night. In honor of Rosh Hashanah, the Phillies were on Apple. Ah, well, there, there you go. go. Yeah. Mm. Wait, tonight they are? No, last last, last night. night. Okay, the first again. night of Rush. No, not again. Okay. That was a one-time thing for this series, and uh, I believe the last time they're on streaming this year. Good. Yeah, nobody likes that. No, ma- ma- the Eagles. Nobody likes that. Major Eagles. League Baseball, in particular, makes it too difficult to find <clears throat> where the teams you want to watch are playing. Yeah. You've got streaming. You've got the local feed. You've got Fox, and you've got TBS. It's ridiculous. Well, and I will say this, the NFL, and I appreciate the NFL is different from MLB in terms of how many people watch on TV, but at least when the Eagles this past week were on, uh, which I forget which Amazon. Was, Amazon, thank you, you can turn on your local yes. affiliate and get it. And yeah. that, that seems fair. They've even done that from the start with ESPN. Yes. As greedy as they are, they actually guarantee the local broadcast always stands. Hope they do that. Don't know that they'll do that forever. Forever, no, but in the year no. 2023, I'm actually pleasantly yeah. surprised they still yeah. do. Do you know more people now, more hours were watched on streaming TV than on uh, all the network TV combined? I know it was a recent month. Mm-hmm. More people now watch stuff. Not more people. More hours are consumed on streaming than not. Doesn't surprise me at all. But it's I mean, spread it's, it's out. Gonna... It's spread out so much over everything that streaming has yeah. that the audiences for some of those network shows are still bigger than most streaming shows. And I'm paying for all those streaming. <laughs> you are every single damn one of them. Anyway, Dan Wilson, what did we forget to talk about? Well, today? so I'll start with this because we were just talking about streaming. So uh, sh- both games were streamed, both the Eagles and Phillies, the past couple of nights. Obviously, Eagles were on Fox locally. Phillies, you could only get on Apple TV. Uh, but a little bit of history the other night. The Eagles and Vikings game, Glenn, you joked that only thirty to 40,000 people probably saw that A.J. Brown-Jalen uh, Hurts fight on the sideline because it was Amazon. A little bit more than that, $16.5 million, making it the most streamed American sporting event in history. Wow. The Eagles moved the needle. 16.5 wow. million people watched stream that game the other night. 
I mean, that's a real listen. If you're the NFL and you're Amazon, that's, you're going to keep doing this. Positive, yeah. And you're going to mm-hmm. keep doing it. And what worries me with its success is that they will do it more. I, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, people can complain all they want, but the numbers are showing people are doing it. Yeah. People are watching it. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about the Jason Kelsey documentary. Uh, my favorite parts were where the station kind of worked its way in. A lot of WIP in this. Uh, whether it was Kyle Quinn breaking the news that Kelsey was coming back, uh, the opinions of the afternoon show, John Marks, like Reese, Jack Fritz, Joe Giglio on the midday show also. Uh, but I think everyone's favorite part, and I was talking to him <laughs> earlier today, was uh, when they showed the Ocean Drive event uh, back in 2022 yeah, with yeah, Angelo and Kelsey. Yeah. Both Dave Breitmeyer on the side kind of staring into space and Joe Wechter shoving his uh, sandwich in his mouth. <laughs> what I think was everyone's favorite part which, here. Which one did you talk about? I, I spoke to Breitmeyer earlier today. Oh, well, Breitmeyer looks like he's just kind of... Yeah, he's just there. Whatever. He, he Yeah, he wasn't taking town an Italian no, he, away. No, poor Wechter stole the show, yeah. <laughs> yeah, poor Wechter got caught at not the moment he wants to be immortalized for. <laughs> but, hey, WIP... They were all over it. Yeah, I'm really... Listen, all over I, it. I am proud to work at this station and really appreciate how huge a part it was of that. Um, from callers calling in to the hosts here to updates to everything. It was just great. It was great. Uh, also, so last night's Phillies game, Aaron Nola was the starter. Do you guys see he went on radio in St. Louis yesterday on the day of a start? Really? Yes. Like, very bizarre. I listened to the interview. It wasn't even anything groundbreaking. I get sports radio is different out there. It's probably more interview-driven. But it was like 15 minutes of, like, how's the season going? Like, impending free agency. Right. Hint, hint, maybe we want you out in St. Louis. <sighs> But and baseball they asked about, yeah, baseball heaven. They asked him about the ovation and the playoff push. But I guess it theory could have been recorded on Thursday, then for Friday. But I thought it was odd. Usually, you don't see pitchers the day of a start no. like, dropping an interview. And no, he did. You're, not, you're not supposed to talk to them before they well, take he, them out. He talked. They <laughs> dropped the interview yesterday on their morning show. I don't know, and I don't know when they recorded it. But I guess my big question, having interviewed Aranola a number of times, is. <laughs> How did you get 15 minutes out of them? Did they get anything interesting? <laughs> no, no. Okay. It was 12 minutes of them talking. I should be clear about that. Yeah. He was on the line for 15 minutes. He did not talk for 15 Aaron minutes. Is, Aaron is not an effusive interview. I think we've learned that over time. All right, Dan Wilson, great job. Mike Sealski, uh, enjoy the rest of your day. You too, my friend. Uh, I will be on tomorrow morning with one Jody McDonald. Looking forward to that. Uh, again, want to wish uh, everybody, uh, all my brethren and sister in a Joyous New Year. Stay tuned. James Seltzer, Elliot Shore Parks coming up with Go Birds Radio. We'll see you tomorrow morning, everybody. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.